The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review this past Sunday's Battle Autumn show, preview this week's Battle Autumn shows, and rumble on 44th Street, and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPWWorld to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Jeremy, you forgot to mention that we also are going to be previewing the night before the Rumble on 44th Street. You know, I, I count it all as one thing. It's, it's all, not one thing. It's separate. It's the 44th Street weekend. Yeah, there's a lot of matches announced for that show, too. So I know. Big stack card. I can't wait <laughs> to go over both nights. Uh, huge, unbelievable <laughs> match of the year contender after match of the year contender. Oh man. But uh young boy, did you uh check out the uh Road to Honeymoon podcast? Yeah, I did. And um I got to say I I really enjoyed the episode, but I felt like there was too much um coming from my neck, you know? You guys were coming at me and I took it as disrespect many of the time, you know? Like she downgraded the show simply because <laughs> you weren't on the show. Okay. She told me that my opinion on ratings takes and opinions is wrong. And then, you know, said that you're the ace of the ace of podcasts, which, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. I, I don't know. No, I'm just playing. You guys actually, uh, if you guys haven't checked it out, Jeremy and his uh, wife, they did a, uh, 
podcast together, unbeknownst to me, uh, during Jeremy's uh, honeymoon while they were driving. And uh, I thought it was pretty funny. I, I really enjoyed it. Here's the only thing we'll say. We got to work on the nicknames for both of you guys. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ace and Deuce is not... It's not going to work out. We need something better. But, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it either. I mean, uh, you know, we had a lot of, like, long road trips on the honeymoon because we stayed in Sedona. And so we went, uh, like, one day we did, like, the Grand Canyon. And that was, like, a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Sedona. And then we went out to, like, the, the Painted Desert and the Petrified Forest, which, again, was another, like, two-hour drive there and back to where we were staying in Sedona. And so how it all, how it all came up was, um, you know, we were listening to music and like she had control of the radio for most of the trip and she's playing like, you know, 70s, 80s, like classic, like rock, like highway to the danger zone, like stuff like nice. that. And after a while, I was like, can, you know, can we play something of like, you know, modern, like something that. I, I wow, like. bro! <laughs> Telling on yourself right now. I, I felt like you, like with you, like watching wrestling matches. Like you're trying to get me to watch all the '70s and '80s. I'm like, <laughs> can we can we watch something you know <laughs> from like the last ten years? <laughs> and she's like, oh, you want to put something else on? And then she just popped on, keeping a strong style, which she which the episode with you and James on on Pandora. She's like, let's listen yeah. to it. I was like, okay. And then she had like all these questions, like as we were listening to the show, there that, there was a lot that she was saying on the show that made me realize that maybe too regularly, and maybe this is a good or negative thing, I don't know, but maybe too regularly we don't explain either inside jokes or even just uh, wrestling cultural references, um, and we don't really break them down for like the more casual like listener or like a newcomer to new Japan. And I I do feel like our podcast is pretty accessible to those who maybe are unfamiliar, but there was a lot of things where she was pointing out. She's like, what did this mean? And what did this mean? I was like, dang, I guess, uh, (laughs) I guess I need to uh, explain things a little bit better sometimes. And and just assume that maybe not every listener is like, uh, you know, just a diehard and, and, you know, been diving into, you know, Shinihan for years and years and years. Yeah, I mean, I've always had the assumption that, like, all right, if you have found a New Japan <laughs> podcast, you, you probably know, like, right. have some kind of base knowledge of New Japan and wrestling. and Right. But who knows? Maybe, yeah, there are, you know, maybe people just randomly finding us that have no idea and are listening. So, yeah, maybe we do need to, like, break some stuff down. But, yeah. So there she, was a... Oh, go ahead. No, so yeah, she had all these questions. He's like, let's record a podcast, like reviewing the stuff and like answering my questions. I was like, okay. So he pops her phone out. Yeah, we recorded one like on one of the drives back to uh, Sedona. Yeah. And it, it was a podcast where she was asking questions about the things that I fucked up. And I I took that as disrespect. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't think it was all about all about that. <laughs> but I got to tell you, um, no, you guys did a great job. Um, and if she's listening, she knows I'm playing. But um, yeah, man, I'm feeling good. Feeling really good about this episode. I mean, better than I. Here's here's the the dirty little secret of the show. You, when you guys listen, I I might put on a, a a brave face and a smiley face every week. But those the past few weeks, that's all bullshit. This is the real good Josh Smith. The the, the past few weeks, I was all facade, you know, and I, I'm ready to actually serve you guys with the best takes ratings and opinions and reviews and blah 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 so 
yeah, sorry about the the, the last like I don't know six months because day one <laughs> starts today. <laughs> uh, man, young, no, bo- no, young boy's fired up. No, I'm just yeah. playing. It, it's the same old shit. <laughs> Uh, before we start, we did have a question here from Dan Wong. No, when are you going to bring on the deuce regularly for the recommended match of the week review? See, the reason I don't like that is number number one, like calling Jen like the deuce implies that she's second. Like that's not, you know, she's not second. Plus, like deuce, it's not like I don't know, it's not a great name. Like she needs to have something that's more fitting her station. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, we're we're still workshopping the nicknames, but she really liked the whole Ace and Deuce thing, so. Well, she thought that she thought that the reason that this show is called the Ace of Podcasts <laughs> is because you are the Ace, the Ace of Podcasts. <laughs> she didn't know that that was a tagline for the show. She right, this was, whole time. Like, <laughs> she's like, "You always been the Ace to me." I don't know. <laughs> I was oh, like, "That makes but, sense. That makes sense." <laughs> yeah, so you guys can find that on the uh, the Social Suplex Podcast Network feed. Make sure you're listening to. The show on both feeds, subscribe on both feeds, rate on both feeds, um, help get both feeds over. Uh, but let's uh, jump into some New Japan. Put us over, brother. <laughs> um, so uh, first thing here, I mean, this probably would normally be a new. Wait, wait, did, you didn't answer the question though. I mean, are you? Is this a one-off? I mean, is this a one-night only? What's going on? I, I don't know. We might figure out what we can do. We might, you know, try to pull like the whole like Rich Krejci gimmick where he has his wife on sometimes and she reviews matches and. Does well, her I'll tell thing. you the truth. Like, Megan's in the other room, so she can probably hear this. So I'm gonna try to keep it down, but like, she's been trying to come on the show for like years now. And I've been <laughs> trying to get, I've been shutting it down, like constantly. And but like, if she finds out that you had Jen, like if she finds out that we had Jen on the show, then like it's gonna be. Then she have to come on the show. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But oh, um, no, like literally last week, uh, Megan was like, "I'll come on the show," and I was like, "We got six nights of wrestling to review. Are you gonna like watch all of that?" And she's like, "You don't watch all of it. You barely pay attention." And I was like, I- "I'm a I'm a seasoned professional. I know what's happening without even, you know." I can look down at my phone and I know what's going to happen to Taguchi. Like, I get it. Like, Yeah, the funny thing, yeah, Jenna's been actually been asking too, like, I don't know if she's been serious, but like, I'll been asking about to come on. I'm like, well, you know, we're in the middle of Best of Super Juniors right now. If you want to, you know, review all these tournament matches. <laughs> and- now, here's the weird thing. I thought about that for a second. What about all the times when we're listening to, because um, it's no secret, we both listen to the flagship, right? And mm-hmm. they do the gimmick where, you know, one of their wives or yeah, one of their wives will like walk in and then they'll start talking to the other host. And I, I but then I thought to myself, how how does that even work? Because when we're recording, I got headphones and you got headphones and nobody in the outside world can hear anything except for my voice. So how are they communicating? You know, like, do, are they in a full studio setup without headphones? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I'm not sure what their setup is, but yeah, maybe yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. But yeah. Who knows? Maybe there'll be more. um podcast specials with jen maybe we'll get we'll get megan on maybe we'll do a uh social suplex wags wives and girlfriends and have them all <laughs> get on a podcast and bury us bury the husbands and boyfriends and all that good stuff probably that's probably exactly what would happen <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You, you you get put over and i get buried is probably what would happen <laughs> oh man and that's just generally how it always is no matter what's going on in life so that makes sense 
No, that that's not true. <laughs> you, you, you get put over plenty. <laughs> you better believe it, brother. <laughs> All right, man. Let's talk about uh, New Japan. First thing here, this would be like a, a news story, but I feel like it's it's a hot news story. A lot of people have been talking about this, and I don't think we really honed in on it quite a lot because there's been a lot going on in the last couple episodes. I want to start off the top with this with the Carl Anderson never title situation. Um, so NJPW president Takami Obari says that they are doing everything they can to ensure all matches listed for the November 5th in Osaka show take place as advertised. As we know, the Good Brothers released a video last week claiming that NJPW never confirmed the November 5th date with them and said Anderson will not be defending his title at the Battle Autumn show that's happening November 5th in Osaka. Obari took social media on Saturday to say that they are working to ensure the match takes place and that they expect all wrestlers to honor their advertised commitments we're doing all we can to ensure every side match in Osaka on November 5th happens as promised. We expect all wrestlers, especially champions, to honor their advertised commitments, the NJPW president wrote on Twitter. Obari also told Tokyo Sports in an interview last week that he is angry about the situation involving Anderson and the Never Openweight Championship. Hikaleo directed his post-match comments on Saturday toward Anderson in a situation involving the Never Openweight Championship. Hikaleo saying, you think you forgot about me? I've got a lot on my plate right now, but I can make time for you. What are you scared of, Carl Anderson? The second non-Japanese person to make the final of the G1 is scared of someone who's just coming back from a learning excursion. The former multiple-time IWGP Tag Team Champion scared of someone who's only had two title matches. Listen, you want to call yourself Bright Lights? Don't forget who turned on those lights for you. New Japan did. And now you want to say those lights are, you want to say those lights are brighter? You want to say... Your lights are brighter? Well, don't turn your back on us. Don't forget where you came from, Hikaleo said to Anderson. Carl, you want to hide from me? I'll find you. And when I do, I will knock all your lights out. So, young boy, what are your thoughts on this whole Carl Anderson never tile situation being double booked? Is it a work? Is it not a work? What's what's your thoughts on everything going on now? Well, um, there's definitely working that's taking place. Uh, as to whether it's all a work, I couldn't say. Um, we've heard reports from others that are out there that say that uh, most, a lot of this is of a worked nature. And I think if you've been watching New Japan for a long time and seen how management handles situations like this in a real-world capacity, the, uh, the way it's being handled currently is very unlike their you know, M.O., um, typically, hypothetically speaking, if somebody really was unable to fulfill a title date due to whatever extenuating circumstance, we've seen people that were injured, we've seen people that had to take mental health breaks, we've seen people that had natural disasters, uh, travel issues, all sorts of things. And unless their name was John Moxley, <laughs> they stripped the person. Uh, and, and you know what? The John Moxley is a great precedent because why didn't they strip John Moxley? There was some sort of agreement in place to allow him to continue to hold that belt because they had some sort of business motive to continue to have him be the champion. Now, I'm not um, saying that this is the exact same thing where, you know, I know there's speculation that people think, oh, WWF and New Japan might have a working relationship and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that that's quite what's taking place here, but. 
there is obviously they haven't stripped the guy. They're playing things up in the media. They got the president talking. They got people cutting promos. They had Rocky, you know, um, in in this guy's Instagram mentions talking about give the belt back, dude, and fuck off. And yeah, it, this all just screams work. And I know that a lot of wrestling fans and pundits and analyzers and content creators, people like us, love to be uh, the smartest guy in the room and say, oh, everything's a work. Just like all wrestlers think everything is a work. Um, But we're not typically those guys. And I'm only willing to really stake stake our reputation on the idea that this is work just based off history. You look at the way they've handled any real-life situation where a champion couldn't defend, couldn't show up, much less be double-booked by a competing company, that usually would result in them stripping that person cutting off contact with them and just moving on, having like a, a new title match altogether, you know, set up in this case, they haven't done that. Um, you know, guns and gallows, they had tweeted out not too long ago before all this happened. Look out in the next few months. We're getting ready to do something that's never been seen in history. There's reports from, um, voices of wrestling amongst others, people that have contacts in the company that are saying that this is absolutely a work. And so to that, you know, to that end, I think all the signs point in the direction that there's definitely a work taking place. Otherwise, they would just cut off business ties with the guy and they wouldn't move forward with any kind of match. And also, it's Carl Anderson. It's like it's not like it's John Moxley or some major, major, major star. Right, yeah. You know, it, it's a guy that they've done business with for a long time. They've got personal relationships with, and they probably just want to. This is probably them just trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit what i think probably happened i think uh initially when they signed with wwe and i'm just speculating here this is just what my gut tells me wwe probably said yeah you can finish out your dates but you're gonna work saudi <laughs> they're like but we're, but we're already booked for saudi well you're under contract so you're gonna work saudi then they went to new japan and like all right well let's figure out what we got to do to get to one four how can we make this, you know, lucrative for for both you and us? Obviously, WWE's not involved in this anyway. They're not tweeting stuff out. They're not making mentions on their show. They're not doing stuff on their social media. This is kind of just a a deal, I believe, with a quasi blessing from WWE to let these guys finish out their quote unquote dates for them to drum up a little storyline, drum up a little bit of a uh, uh, controversy get the anger and the ire from the new Japan hardcores to potentially do a little business in the Tokyo dome and send these guys off to New York. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole thing about being double booked, like, I don't think that is a work, at least part of it. You know, I don't think like what, what is the work on wanting to, you know, double book your, a guy that you expect to show up for a big show. I don't think that was a work. Like you said, I think, they got double booked, and then they're like, "All right, how can we turn this into a work?" Into yeah, how can uh, we work people and make money off this? Exactly, and I, I feel like this situation is actually kind of similar to the Juice Robinson U.S. title situation that we saw earlier this year, where Juice got uh, appendicitis and was still the U.S. champion, was scheduled for a U.S. title match, and like New Japan knew that he had appendicitis and was going to probably have to go to the hospital and not be able to compete but the match was still scheduled juice cut promos kind of similar to anderson saying hey i'm not showing up i'm not cleared i don't know why you guys keep advertising this match 
And then come that show happens, you know, they start the show by saying, you know, Juice is not making it. He stripped the title. We have a new U.S. match. It's going to be, what was it, Osprey and Sonata, whatever the match was. And then that's your new U.S. title match. So it seems like we're probably in a similar situation. I would think, uh, you know, November 5th is going to come. Show's going to start. Anderson's not going to be there. They're going to strip him of the belt. And then it's going to be Hikaleo versus somebody, Ishii, Goto, whoever. And that's going to be never champion, which I think will build to potentially, we talked about this uh, off the air, like a, a double um, champion match, a champion versus champion, where Anderson could be like, hey, I never lost an ever title. I, you know, I'm going to be at the Tokyo Dome. It's the bright lights, blah, blah, blah. And then you do Anderson versus Hikaleo unification match. You get an undisputed never champion. WrestleMania 10, two titles hung above the, <laughs> above the ring. <laughs> Uh, and you like, got Hikaleo doing the, the Shawn Michaels frog splash off of the top of the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what they... Now, I think whatever they end up doing at the scheduled... Uh, is it? It's an Osaka show, right? Yes, the Battle Autumn, Battle Autumn in Osaka, November 5th. Whatever they end up doing there is going to be very telling. If they don't do anything like like let's say they just put hikaleo in a non-title eliminator type match or multi-man or something like that and they don't strip crawl that tells you everything you need to know if they do anything if they do anything where carl is totally stripped and he never comes back to work for the company then that would tell you that maybe there is a little bit more realism going on here than most people are willing to admit, but I think the reality is it's probably going to be exactly what you described there, Jeremy. It's going to be some sort of, you know, um, either Hikaleo is going to come out and then Carl doesn't show up and then they forfeit him and they automatically give the title to uh, Hikaleo or they'll call the title vacant and they'll have Hikaleo fight someone for the title right then and there, or who knows, maybe they do a little tourney. They vacate the title and then they do a little mini tourney. Hard to say, but, um, one of those things is definitely happening because this guy's going to be in Saudi Arabia that night. He's not showing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this whole thing has yeah, become quite a hot mess. And I know a lot of people are like, yeah, it's a work and all this stuff. But to me, like you were saying, like, this is for all this for Carl Anderson. It's not John Moxley. It's not uh, Brian Danielson. It's not Kenny Omega. It's not some big top drawing star that they're trying to make all these accommodations for. And I get it. Anderson. Well, you know, was a big guy in the New Japan office back in the day. They were, they, he was Gato's boy. He came up through the L.A. Dojo, um, original member of Bullet Club. But all this work just to, you know, keep Anderson around, do some business with him. I'm like, personally, I think it's a waste of time, work or not a work. Like, I don't think it's worth putting time and energy in Carl Anderson. Like, as, personally, if it was me, as soon as I found out he's double booked, I'm like, all right, cool. We're stripping you. We're going to advertise a new match, and we're done. Provided that that's what actually happened. Because, again, maybe there is a little bit of collusion here. Maybe this was a pre-planned thing to some degree. Um, I'm not saying 100% that it was fake or 100% it was real, but maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And they did need to be like, all right, well, we still got a date on this guy. Let's not blow it. Let's try to make some money off of it. What's the uh, the best way we can... Uh, turn controversy into cash you know right the other thing too um 
And I agree with you. I think it is a lot of to do for, you know, Carl Anderson. (laughs) But um, the other issue at hand is New Japan as a whole and the way that they've handled similar real life situations over the past year and all the various different title issues with whether it was the never title or the U.S. title. We've seen a lot of situations in real life that were very real and were very handled very similarly to this and situations where like when Kotobushi was advertised and the booking office didn't communicate properly with him on those one or two or three times, depending on who you believe and the juice Robinson storyline. And there've been a lot of times in the past where in real life, new Japan didn't communicate with guys that were either sick or injured or uh, ineligible and then advertised them and then had to pull the booking out. Coughlin. Alex Coughlin's another example. Is there's been a lot of recent examples, and then suddenly they're doing a storyline that parodies what they already have a bad tendency of doing. That doesn't. That's not good, in my opinion. It's not good to highlight your, you know, disorderly conduct as a booking <laughs> company, you know, and 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 your your false advertising, and then be like, well, let's turn it into a shoot. No. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I do see some of the positives here. I think it, this has gotten a lot more attention onto New Japan than many of the other positive things. I mean, there's more people talking about this than there is, like, say, the, the TV title tournament or uh, Okada and Jay White. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there is a positive upside there, but um, I don't know if it's all good. Yeah. I mean, I guess one benefit you do have that, you know, WWE audience. Um, if they follow Carl on Twitter, maybe they'll you know hop over t- to watch the match and you know sign up for NJPW World. But I highly doubt that it will, there's going to be a huge conversion rate off of that. So I don't know. No, I think the main thing is the idea is to set up Hikaleo or whoever as the the New Japan representative who's ousting these you know big leaguing you know part-time guys that are going to wwe and getting them out of here and that's the storyline it's supposed to enrage the um the new japan diehards and the reality is i think everyone that watches new japan is angry to some degree it's just what's the reason are are you fully worked and you're fully gimmicked up into it and you're like you know or are you partially smartened up and you're just you know there's a lot of different reasons to be mad and i don't know if running an angle that is mostly focused on people being angry about the product and about the company and about the management as opposed to, I mean, how many people are talking about Hikaleo and all of this? Like very little, little, like almost nobody. He's a a footnote in this whole thing. Right. And it, and he should be the focus. And so I don't know if this was, and, and Hey, you know what, you know why? Because the good brothers are two of the greatest workers of our generation. Notice I didn't say wrestlers. I said workers. They are grifters extraordinary. <laughs> I put out I put out um, a tweet a little while ago that said something to the extent like these guys are the workers that a certain top guy tag team thinks that they wish that they were. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's and then someone was like, "Is that a good thing? Or you call these guys grifters? Normally, that's bad, but you make it sound good. Is this a good thing or a bad thing?" And I just said, "Yes," because <laughs> <laughs> well, it's both, right? I mean, it's good for them because their pocketbooks are getting lined with 
NJPW money, WWE money, Impact money. Like these guys have been grifting all year long. Um, I mean, it's, it's great for them. <laughs> They're grifting, and now we're grifting by talking about their grift to grift you people out of your time, money, and energy. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But you know what? Uh, one funny thing. Anytime, and this is just a very telling thing about this podcast and maybe our audience, Jeremy. Maybe um, anytime I put anything out into the Twitterverse that is even kind of... Um, what like critical about FTR? It gets almost no engagement whatsoever. And the funny thing is, there's diehard New Japan fans out there that are saying and doing the same things as us, but they're not liking my posts about it. So I think the reality is is that we in the New Japan spectrum cross over pretty heavily with like the AEW fan base, like the, that type of audience. Yeah, but, but I don't think they like when I talk bad <laughs> about hair and bald. <laughs> Well, I know a lot of our early listeners, at least I know, were that AEW fan base that kind of left when the Elite left. Because I know I've had listeners been like, yeah, you know, I've kind of been in and out because the Elite left and it's been hard to get into New Japan and that kind of stuff. Um, so I know there's definitely some kind of AEW fan base that were listening or still listen or occasionally listen. So, yeah, they probably are not uh, big fans of the FTR slander. Yeah, I put out like the tweet about loving the match with Aussie Open. Tons of engagement. But anytime I've been like, these guys need to come defend their belt. These guys need to stop complaining so much online. These guys are belt mark babies. Nothing. Like it gets like zip zero, like nothing. <laughs> like people don't like that shit. Yeah. I think people really love FTR. They they do. I mean they do. It's crazy. Listen to the crowd reactions. I mean they're they're super over right now and they're they've built up some goodwill with um a large amount of the fan base. Even that match that we, you and I didn't get to discuss it on the air really too. Well, yeah, I guess we did last week, but you know, that was one of the weird things I, I forgot to mention was like last week was the match with Aussie open in my mind, being a, a, a new Japan pundit, someone that watches the shows, watches strong. I know Aussie open are kind of quote unquote, technically bad guys. Cause they're part of like United empire, but United empire kind of has a spectrum Mm-hmm. And to me, they facilitate that like new Japan defender status because they're here, they're working, they're part of the, the company, they're, you know, they're new Japan guys. FTR are the outsiders. But so I, to me, FTR were the heels who were coming in with a, a title that they've been holding hostage for months and months and months with no title defenses, with no presence on the show, with nothing, zero, zit, zilch, nada. And I was thinking that Aussie Open were like the the hot young up and coming baby faces that needed to get the title back from them. That is not how the audience saw it. They were the heels, and FTR were the returning supreme heroes, which I it blew my mind because I didn't see it that way at all. <laughs> well, I mean, I was kind of expecting that, considering just how the, the alignments are. Like FTR, yeah, they're pure baby faces right now. AW, and then like you mentioned, I know United Empire, they're, they're I guess they're they're heel leaning, but for the most part, they've kind of been heels in new japan and when they appear on aw television and that uk fan base yeah they were all over ftr it's been a long time since they've seen ftr in person so that that fan base was like salivating for them yeah yeah that's true so yeah that kind of blew my mind and you know but i'm this the this is the hill i'm gonna die on i don't get i don't care like great performers incredible performers but 
I don't like those dudes. <laughs> <laughs> but we had some questions about um, Carl Anderson. <laughs> yeah, first from Rambone Slam Pick, which we kind of answered. Thoughts on the further development in the Carl Anderson saga? I hope they just vacate the title and move on rather than try to stretch this mess out for a Wrestle Kingdom title change. Um, I mean, like I said, I feel like that, that's what they are going to do, at least a unification. If they don't. I think. Oh, go ahead. Uh, if, they, if they don't strip him, then it will be a title match, but I think it's going to be unification. I think it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, I think a lot of the fan base just flat out does not want to see Carl. So, you know, if he does just leave, most people would probably be happy. But at the same time, New Japan isn't able to capitalize on the heat that they're getting off this guy where, you know, fans want to see him lose and get beat. And, you know, so maybe it would be better for Hikaleo to get his first title win over Carl Anderson and oust him from the company. And that might be a, a really good, you know, wrestle kingdom moment. And at the same time, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like Hikaleo versus Carl Anderson pass. Give me something else. <laughs> yeah. Especially since we are back to a one night wrestle kingdom card, you know, we don't have like a two car. We can, Oh yeah. You can, you can kind of throw some stuff around. Like, this is a one night card. So I'm kind of aim my expectations back to what we got when we got one night and we had, you know, a stacked lineup and you look at some of the never tile matches in, the, in those one night cards. Like we got some banger never tile matches. Well, let me ask you your opinion on this then. And let me just put some of this in perspective. They put the title on Carl Anderson, terrible run. They had him defeat um, a, a, a streaking Tamatanga. They had him defeat the ace of the universe. Hiroshi Tanahashi in a, in a nothing match. And now the guy's working for WWE. There's been a lot of terrible things that have happened in this ring. Um, would you rather that they just strip him of the title? We never see the guy again. And now Hikaleo is the heir apparent with like, you know, him just against Joe Schmo and going and, you know, there's not a lot of time for them to build a real program for him for Wrestle Kingdom. So there's yeah. that. Or would you rather them just do the match and have Hikaleo go over? What's the more positive outcome for you? Hikaleo gets put over and they try to at least make something on the Carl Anderson, you know, run or just get Carl out of the way altogether and put Hikaleo in there with anybody. (laughs) So (laughs) because, because I, I see, I see the appeal of both sides of that (laughs) for me selfishly. As a fan and somebody who reviews this product every week, I would be elated to never have to watch a Carl Anderson New Japan match ever again. I'd be totally fine if they were like, you know what, Carl, it's not working out. We're stripping you of the belt. Good looking WWE. We're going to do Hikaleo versus Ishii. And we're going to go from there. And then somebody else will come out and challenge. And then we'll set up a match for Hikaleo at Wrestle Kingdom. And, you know, move on um now from a business standpoint putting on a, a new japan office lens i think as a business person if i was in that office maybe i would be like all right we do need to kind of capitalize on this buzz people are talking about it um there are you know WWE audience might cross over let's see what we can do to capitalize on this let's try and get some kind of match whether it is we do a number one contender match at 
Osaka and then do the winner, have Hikaleo win that, and then Hikaleo versus Anderson at Wrestle Kingdom, or we do a, a double title match at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I, I could see why the New Japan office might want to do that business-wise, but from a fan standpoint, from an enjoyment-wise, from a match quality-wise, what you could do, I would personally be okay with just washing my hands of Carl Anderson and moving on. I will say this. I am in the camp where I've always, and this was something you probably heard me say to James a few weeks ago, you and I have been early in. Uh, we bought in on Hikaleo early, mm-hmm. okay? And I am of the opinion that he does need a signature win to kind of get him started, get him established. And I, I can't think of a better win for him to get than ousting Carl from the company, you know? Yeah. So from that standpoint, I would like to see it. The, the other part of it, too, is like as someone that has had to watch all the Carl Anderson and Gallo's matches since they returned, you know, even just going back to even strong, you know, mm-hmm. and also all the all the stuff in impact that involved New Japan guys and all the stuff in AEW, you know, it's like, what was all this for? Let's at least have, in my opinion, I'm like, let's have a payoff because so far it's just been them getting, 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 getting. Let's have someone get some comeuppance at least and send the guys back to, you know, to Connecticut. Yeah, That's how I feel about it. I At this point, and it also it's like, if, if the company is going to work, us and and work the angle then let's just pay off the angle at this point yeah um my only concern is what if they don't show up (laughs) (laughs) these are not necessarily individuals you can trust right (laughs) so who knows and again them being under WWE contract what if some house show magically pops up on january 4 for some other overseas show I know they said they weren't doing day one, but what if they do day four and they magically start a day four pay-per-view and it's on January 4th and then we have to, you know, worry about that. It's possible. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, it, who knows? With, with them, you never know what it's, I mean, who knows? They could, a Saudi show could pop up. The prince is like, I want to do a show on January 4th. You know? <laughs> and they're like, okay. <laughs> they And they call it the greatest Wrestle Kingdom ever. <laughs> Oh, oh man. man, Death Triangle Seven Twenty has a question here, and uh, that person might need to change their name because uh, Death Triangle is about to be kaput. I think. Yeah, we saw some uh, seeds of dissension there uh, last week on AW. Not me. It was on Tuesday. I didn't watch that shit. <laughs> uh, so he asked, "What would you do with the never open weight situation?" Which, which I feel we kind of described about. Um, yeah. Um, and he said, should they just strip him of the belt or retire the belt as a whole? And that's, a, that's something I have been seeing a lot of people saying, let's just get rid of the Never belt. We have the TV belt coming. Let's, you know, phase the Never title out. Here's the issue with that. Um, the Never title has always facilitated this important third belt role where it wasn't um, something that was obviously a headliner, but you could headline road to shows and things like that. If you ever wanted to, we've seen some excellent road to never title matches, but also it had a different style of presentation and match uh, layout to where it was like, we've affectionately nicknamed it. And this has changed a little bit recently, but like throughout the years of this show, we've always called it the Carl Gotch world title, the strong style world title, which is what the never belt has been. It's been the belt where, 
two dudes go in there and they kick the shit out of each other and they have these short bursty hard mat hard hitting like strong style matches and that was a totally different style than the secondary belt or the world title and obviously they got rid of the IC belt so the state of that number two slot has been in flux. It looked like at one point they were going to elevate the never title to that spot. And then COVID happened and it didn't really work out that way. Now it seems like maybe the U S belt is kind of the one that is sort of being slotted for that. But you know, this whole thing about the never title originally being a young guy's belt. And now they have a new young guy's belt. So it's kind of, you know, it's going to facilitate that role. I understand that, but like, dude, the never belt, hasn't been a young man's belt since the first day that it actually <laughs> yeah, since twenty twelve. Since since they first awarded the title to uh who won it first? Masato Tanaka. Yeah, a a non young non young guy. <laughs> yeah, Masato Tanaka from ECW and FMW. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> who still having bangers even in his old age right now as we speak. Yeah. So yeah, no, this has never been even though it was supposed to be a next generation title it just never was that belt and my fear is you get rid of it and then you get rid of the hard hitting you know and i think the idea is some people think that the tv title is going to be nothing but sprints a la shibata ishii and that's not going to be the case (laughs) well i mean i think based on tournament that we've seen so far they haven't all been sprints i mean there have been parts of the matches that have been sprints but we haven't got a Full on bell to bell 15 minute sprint. And like you're saying, I feel like the why people are maybe clamoring for the never title maybe go away. I think the never title has maybe lost its identity in the last couple of years. Like you mentioned, like recently, yes. yeah, like the niche of that never title was all right. It's, it's that strong style title we're going to have. Goto and Ishii and Chibata and Suzuki, Suzuki. and Abushi and we're gonna have all Taichi and we're gonna have all these hard hitters, Jeff Cobb, these big heavyweight. Will guys. Osprey. Yeah, we're gonna have all these Jiro. Hard- <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're gonna have these hard hitters, these these heavyweight guys have these slug fests, and it was kind of its own little niche and attraction, but then they But you then know, Jay White happened. Right, they unify the IC title. COVID happened, and then the Never Title was supposed to be the the secondary belt. It's supposed to be the IC belt, but then you know Jay couldn't get to Japan, and then (laughs) for a whole year, and then they had the match of Ishii dropping the Ishii, and then even ever since then, it's been kind of struggling to kind of get back to exactly where it was. Right, but here's the thing: I would much rather have a belt that has a lineage and history of being that type of title and can very quickly be shined up to be the hard hitters, badass belt, especially with all the dudes in the pipeline that wrestle that style that are like on the horizon. I'd rather them just facilitate this belt as being something different and, you know, still facilitating that role than just nixing it all together. And then it's like, all right, well, what do all those bruisers fight over? I I guess you could turn the TV title into that, but, the TV title is hypothetically supposed to be a 15-minute. It, it's its own unique thing altogether. And it's like you're not – it's not a one-for-one trade if you get rid of the Never Belt and you bring in the TV title. What it is, it's a trade-off. You can have 15-minute matches, which is a whole unique 
entirely different thing altogether and still is being formulated and, and, you know, invented and imagined as this whole new thing. Or you can have the strong style title or you can have both. And I think they're, I think they're dissimilar enough to where there's a role and a reason on a new Japan card for both of those belts. In my opinion, the belt that doesn't make sense has always been the U.S. belt because it was supposed to be a U.S. title, and they never use it in the U.S. Right. And the only reason it's around right now, realistically, is because they got rid of the IC title, and Kenny Omega and Jay White held the belt once upon a time and lended their, you know, um, whatever the word their is. Credibility. Their credibility. The fact that they held it, the fact that, you know, Chris Jericho and, and Kenny Omega fought over it in the semi-main event, elevated it. So it holds a place of distinction. But realistically, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, that belt's been cursed. It's been passed around by a million different people. It's ugly as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and if there's ever been a title that needs to not be in New Japan, maybe it's the title that's named after a country that they barely ever even like use it in to begin with. Right. I mean, they have a U.S. product now, which the U.S. title is like never on. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they put it on some of the pay-per-views this year. But I mean, you I don't understand why the U.S. title couldn't be the top title on strong instead of creating a strong open weight title. Because, oh, Jeremy, it's, it's exactly what I said on that show with James. It's because there is an outlaw agenda where they want to get rid of IWGP and they want to make everything NJPW and it's not <laughs> right and I don't support it. And as far as I'm concerned concerned anything that's titled never or NJPW those are now officially outlaw titles. Mm. Only the IWGP will be recognized on keeping it strong style. <laughs> okay. Antonio Noki did not do that sell job to Hulk Hogan in 1983. <laughs> So you guys could name Aussie Open the NJPW Strong Openweight Tag Team Champions. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude, that that would be a great like character for somebody to be like all these outlaw tiles in New Japan. Fred Rosser, you're an outlaw champion. Aussie Open outlaw champions. Carl Anderson you know outlaw champion. Here's the funny thing. There was something like that when the Makai Club was around and stuff like that. They brought back the NWF title because they were like, the IWGP title is not the real title. <laughs> Tony Inoki's title was the NWF belt. We're bringing Strong Style back. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Um, the last question he had was about Hikaleo. And uh, the la- he just said, what do you think about Hikaleo? And I'll tell you, I love him. He's a tall guy. He's got great hair. He's sexy. And he beats people up. He's awesome. Yeah, dude. Like we said earlier, we've been on the Hikaleo train very early from his early Young Lion days when he first popped up in the scene. And he's improved ever since then. Uh, he has a great look. Um, he's learning how to use his size. The, the new the Japan audience sees him as this you know huge monster. That they, they pop huge when he gets people up for a big choke slam. Um, I think he's going to be an interesting guy to get in the mix. I think he can kind of, you know, fit a like a bad luck Fale role and even surpass that if he um, stays in the shape that he's in and continues to improve like he has been these um, last several years. So, yeah, I think he's a great addition to the roster, and I, I think there is a bright future for him. 2023, 
He's going to be in a New Japan Cup, and he's going to be in a G1 for the first time ever, and those are going to be huge tells as to the future of Hikaleo. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm definitely like positive on the guy, and I, I hope he does win the Never Title January fourth. Yeah. Um, but that's going to do it for that section. Let's talk about this past week's New Japan Battle Autumn Tour Night Eight. And I'll run through the um, results here very quickly. So in opening action, Doki defeated Kosei Fujita, 7 minutes, 23 seconds, with the Doki Chokey. Second match of the night, the Suzuki-Gun team of Kanemaru and ZSJ, they, de- they defeated Alex Zane and Yuto Nakashima, 8 minutes and 27 seconds. Third match of the night, the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Great Cobb, and Jeff Cobb defeated Oiwa, Makabe, and Toriano. Fourth match of the night, we had the cast team of Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi, the longest reigning never open weight six man tag team champions. They defeated Dave Finley, Renarita, and Tiger Mask. Fifth match of the night, the Suzuki Goon team of El Desperado, Taichi, and Taka Michinoku. They defeated the Bolt Club team of Gato, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori. Sixth match of the night, Hiromu Takahashi and Sonata of LIJ defeated Master Wato and Tomoaki Hanma. And then the semi-main event, the LIJ team of Bushi, Naito, and Teton defeated the United Empire team of Francesco Akira, Gideon Gray, and TJP. Before we jump into the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team title main event match that I know everyone is dying to hear about, let's discuss just briefly some of our takeaways of the show and some of the stuff we saw on the undercard here. Yeah, so uh, I thought Doki looked really good in that opening with Fujita. That was a, a fun opening uh, singles match there. Uh, hey, anytime uh, Doki gets the big W over basically anybody, I'm all for it. Yeah, so that, that was fun getting Doki a big win there. Um, you know, one thing that I'm kind of disappointed with was is uh, with how they've been using Alex Zane for this tour you know, they, they brought him in for the TV uh, tournament. He had that first round match with Sabre that was a lot of fun. And now he's just stuck on a bunch of multi-man tags. And I'm like, why would you bring this guy in to, like, beat him in the first round and stick him on multi-mans? Like, he, he's still getting over. He's selling a ton of merch. I would have rearranged the bracket for him to go a little bit deeper in the tournament uh, to capitalize on the momentum he's he's had this year. Well, I mean, let's think about it, Jeremy. What could they have done differently? Um, hypothetically, if you consider him a junior, which at this point, I am I think the junior, that junior run is out the gate. Like, that's yeah. gone. Yeah. <laughs> but hypothetically, if you wanted to cheat and still call him a junior because he does flippy shit, you could have potentially tried to work him into that four-way for Wrestle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they've got almost all exclusively domestic guys. So I could see why maybe they wouldn't want to do that. And then aside from that, there's nothing else going on. Um, I mean, you could have made him maybe like position him better in the TV title run and had him go a little bit deeper. But that's the only major singles title thing that's really like going on currently. The next big thing, obviously, is uh, the crossover show and... um, World Tag League, and if he's going to be here for a little while, I could see him having some sort of cool, interesting, fun tag title, or not tag title, but you know, tag team run through the tournament for World Tag League. But other than that, it's just that weird time of year where it's not like there's that many compelling options for them to really plug this guy in and do 
cool, unique things, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I get there's probably not a whole ton, but I would have at least had him get maybe at least one or two wins in that TV tournament, book the tournament a little bit differently to get him to go a little bit deeper. And and then I get, you know, throwing him on multi-man stuff um, after that. Or maybe try to set up a, a junior tag team for him. I know that we said he's kind of on that edge of not being a junior, but at least get him a new partner to set something up for the junior tag league, which they still might do. I see it as a positive personally. I know they're not doing anything super compelling with the guy currently, but to me, the Zack Sabre match was very, very good. And then plugging him in as a regular Hauntai member, they're not doing that with anyone else uh, aside from Teton. Him and Teton are the only two guys that really got called back from um, Best of Super Juniors back in May. You don't see, you know... um, Ace Austin... Ace Austin or L Lindemann or, you know, Utah or uh, what's his name? The guy from AEW. Uh, Wheeler, Utah. You don't see Wheeler, Utah doing these uh, multi-man matches. And it kind of reminds me of Jeff Cobb in a way. Remember when Jeff Cobb first came in, we're like, why aren't they doing more with him? Well, now they are. New Japan, you know, they don't always dive in full-fledged with guys right out the gate. They, they like to work them into the ecosystem of new Japan and kind of establish him. And he is still getting over and he is still a guy and he's still a player, but obviously like it's a good sign that he's not the pin eater in the match with Suzuki goon. He, they gave him Yuto Nakashima to, uh, to, to eat the pin. So I think it's a positive thing. I think it's just them integrating him into the product even more. So your average New Japan, you know, attendee, the the people that are buying the tickets or the people watching at home are just get more familiar with him as time goes on and he becomes a a familiar face, you know? Yeah, which I think is definitely, it's working. I think it's definitely getting him over more, being on these shows, teaming with the people he's teaming with. He's still selling merch, still getting over. So, yeah, I'm sure he'll be plugged into something probably a little bit bigger in the future, kind of like Jeff Cobb was, like you mentioned. One thing I wanted to say, and I didn't say it last week, and I know this might be taken the wrong way, but I just need to say it. What's going on with Yuto Nakashima? With his hair? <laughs> no, with his body, bro. And I, I don't want to be like the body shame guy, but like he is beefy and not in the good way, not in the like y- y- Yota Suji way. Like he's beefy and like, I don't know if your friend can carry all that. You might want to like, uh, this is, he looks like he's on a dirty bulk. He <laughs> looks like uh, Mac from. It's always sunny in Philadelphia in the season where he decided to cultivate mass mm. and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know, man, like what's going on with you? Like, are, what's the gimmick going to be? Where are we sending you? Like, uh, you're the most senior of all the young lions, but you look the least ready of everybody right now. And I'm, <laughs> <laughs> and like if, if I had stocks, like, bought in i would say sell 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 like i'm gonna sell <laughs> off on this guy right now oh man it's a funny thing i really didn't that really didn't stand out to me his hair is the thing that i've been focusing on <laughs> this whole tour it's been standing out to me and i mean like you know we we gave a little bit of grief to like juice robinson when he like gained a couple pounds and it wasn't even a big deal and we we're just like what is this guy doing Yuto Nakashima is in a whole different realm right now. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe they, th- maybe they feel like he needs to beef up and that might make sense, but it's, it's not looking good. Having uh one too many bowls of Chanko and Dojo. 
it, it looks like he's sneaking off and getting some <laughs> Big Macs and some Whoppers. Like, I don't know. Uh, he's going out with, uh, like I said, the dirty, the dirty bulk, you know, <laughs> he's, uh, you know, there's, there's bulking and then there's, I'm going to eat whatever the fuck I want because I'm trying to, you know, cultivate mass. He's going out there with uh, Alex Zane, just eating all, all kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's going out with his tag team partner, Alex Zane. Alex Zane's like, it's perfectly fine for you to eat Taco Bell. I do it every day. Wow, this guy looks great. I can definitely <laughs> do that, too. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, nah, dog. Like, this man's a, a genetic freak, and you can't be, you know, having, like, you know, cheesy Gordy to crunches like that. Like, right. you, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, we got a little preview of uh, Ishii Narita on the undercard in that six man match that you talked, you mentioned. That was the highlight of the show for me. And you know what? I will say this, Jeremy. This show, I didn't like the main event. We'll get to the main event. But overall, when we look, when we did the preview last week, and I was looking at, it, I was like, this is a nothing show. It's just a bunch of preview matches. That the show is almost not worth watching. But then I watched it, and I was like, for a show that wasn't a clap crowd show. It's pretty enjoyable, honestly. Um, now, I'm not telling anybody that's listening, like, if you missed this, you need to go check it out. Hell no. <laughs> but for those of you that, like, are kind of completists or even just looking to watch something that's, like, good background noise or even just enjoyable, I thought the show overall was pretty, like, easy watches. The, show, the matches were very short, very punchy. It, it moved on pretty fast. Like, the halfway point came. I was like, oh, we're already halfway through. Like, it kind of breezed by. Yep, and this particular match with Chaos versus Finley, Narita, and Tiger Mask was especially probably, in my opinion, the match of the night. And a lot of it is due to Ishii and Narita's interactions with each other. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not. There's a lot of people here because it's the son of Strong Style. They're calling it early and saying this guy's the next, you know, uh, Shibata and everything like that. And I do think they're trying to play off that a little bit, but these interactions between these guys, it wasn't full-fledged Shibata Ishii stuff. But what it was, was young, hungry, upstart guy who's not a young lion anymore, who's not going to take shit, just beating up Ishii and Ishii, like, muscling through it and beating him up back and forth. And these guys are going to have an awesome match. Like, there's there's no doubt about it. And the interactions of this match were awesome. Right, and then the post-match where he puts uh, Ishii in a sleeper, Bro, he he slept Ishii, and then when Ishii's partners came in, he dropped them too, and then walked out of the ring standing <laughs> tall. Yes, Hell yeah, yes. friend Rita, baby, son of strong style, baby. Let's go. So that was really cool. Um, other than that, there wasn't much. Um, you know, obviously in the uh, the next match, Desperado Taichi and Taka, they're still kind of building up the whole thing with Despi and Taiji and Hiromu and Wato, and that was also teased in the sixth match of the night as well. So they're still kind of playing around with that four-way, which I'm not I'm not that high on the whole thing. The, the one thing I keep wondering is when they do that, you know, strange bedfellows match, the one thing that everyone's pretty much wishing is that they don't end up with Master Wato as their tag team partner. <laughs> and that's the most compelling part of the whole story. Who's going to get stuck with Wato? <laughs> Whoever gets stuck with Wato is losing. <laughs> Because think about it, Wato plus any, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Hiromu, Despi, or uh, Taiji Shimori, the team on the other side is going to be so overpowered, they're going to beat them no matter what, because they got Wato on the other side. 
But do you think there's a chance, though, of people not working together well? Let's say it's Taiji and Despy. Like, what if they just are at each other's throat so much that they Wato and Hiromu can take advantage of that? That's your one out. And honestly, if you end up with heels versus baby faces, you know, that's probably the best case scenario for a guy like Wato and, and Hiromu. But I don't know. That just seems too, like, standard by the numbers i feel like they gotta make it or or what if they they want to hammer home the fact that the wato win wasn't a fluke and wato does pull another win over ishimori they can try (laughs) (laughs) it didn't work the first time maybe it'll maybe it'll stick the second time i don't know oh man (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) um one other thing as we move on um the seventh match of the night um I love Gideon Gray. Dude, Gideon Gray is the man. <laughs> Newcomer of the year. If you had asked me who who do I prefer, Teton or, or, or <laughs> Gideon Gray, I'm going to pick Gideon Gray. Dude, Gideon Gray, he's hilarious. Great on the mic. Uh, you know, hilarious. Let me put it to this way. I like Gideon Gray more than Aussie Opens. <laughs> what? <laughs> I like it more than TJP. I like it more than Francesco Akira. I only put him under the original members of United Empire. And technically, he's always been a member of United Empire. He's the benefactor. He's the he's right. The, he's been pulling the strings this whole time. He's the secret hand behind the power of the United Empire. You know, he's their Don Callis. Right. Except he can take bumps. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but yeah, he was hilarious in this match, and I loved Naito, like, throwing his cane and Naito putting his jacket on. Oh, my gosh, that that, that was, yeah, peak comedy right there. Uh, but that brings us to the main event of the evening as the House of Torture defended and retained their six-man tag team titles, Evil Shonen Ujiro, with Dick Togo. They defeated Hikaleo, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Ryazuki Taguchi with Jado, 21 minutes and 40 seconds. And Jeremy, what were your thoughts here on the main event? Boy. <laughs> you know, this was, you know, it, it was a peak house of torture, and I know that we have said in the past that when you get more of house of torture in a match, in a, in a six-man or a eight-man scenario that, you get a you get a better match because there is uh, less interference and um, at the beginning of the match they you know, they sent Dick Togo um, away earlier but um, of course he came back there was ton of shenanigans and interference and uh, just one one of the spots that I absolutely hate is the the spot where you you a heel high like turns the referee's back and kind of forces the referee on the corner uh i mean i feel like doing that should just be a disqualification um and it was just so frustrating to see that again in this match with Udero uh, having red shoes up in the corner with his back turned so that the cheating can happen. I'm like, why wouldn't Retro just call a DQ right there? You're touching the referee. You're obstructing the referee's view. You, you know that they're cheating. 
um, to lead into that whole sequence with trying to hit with the wrench, which then led into like the low blow spot on Hikaleo. Um, like there was just so much egregious cheating and making red shoes look dumb. Um, I just didn't enjoy it at all. It was kind of a, a flat finish. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, I think that this type of match where there's so much shenanigans and over the top selling and comedy from Taguchi and, you know, nefarious, just outright blatant cheating from the heels and yada, yada, yada. That type of match is best suited in front of a crowd that can react. And I know you know, say six, seven, eight months ago, if they had to do this match in a cork and hall with just a clap crowd, it, it is what it is. But at this point, airing that match at the headline of a show on New Japan World when we're starting to get actual clap crowds and putting it in front of a non-clap crowd on a night like this was really a strange decision. I do see why they probably did it from a business perspective because it's a smaller, you know, uh, venue although the actually i love the venue that they were running from i don't know specifically what it was but as you know as far as like stature of the way that they showcase the the battle autumn tour shows this was still kind of like a smaller show compared to like the cork and shows the one they're going to do in osaka right so i understand why they headlined it in that aspect but this crowd couldn't react so it's like you got a guy crotched and he's making the faces and yada yada and the people can't do anything you got you know Taguchi doing all the butt humor and pulling down his pants and there's just no reaction and then you got these guys healing it up and cheating and that's another thing too like you mentioned with red shoes and all these other new japan officials they get away with being the biggest fucking idiots right and it's something we've always kind of known and accepted but then and I hate to do this, but you turn around and you look at the way that people talk about like the AEW referees like Bryce or Aubrey or whoever, and people are ruthless on those guys, right? Mm-hmm. They're not any worse than the New Japan referees. Right, right. Red <laughs> people shoes. love red shoes, and he's the worst of them. Yes, dude, yeah. He's the senior official. He's the main event ref, yeah. They make him the biggest clown out of all of them. Kento Sato, uh, Marty Asami, like all those guys, they, they make him look so bad. Right. And I mean, there's a fine line. I understand that there's a time and a place where the referee needs to be a stooge and all that sort of stuff. And they are a storytelling device to allow the heels to get heat. I get it. But it gets so egregious in New Japan. And it's something that has always existed but with this house of torture it is just over the top and we've made mention on this show plenty of times how these six-man tags with the never open weight title for house of torture it's kind of like a, a a nice change of pace and less you know it's not as bad as the evil iwgb title run you know so right right yeah but but putting them in the main event, giving them 21 minutes, and putting them in there with the ace and Hikaleo and the ball shots and the re- the wrench shots and yada yada, it is just too much. Also, Taguchi does not give a fuck, bro. This guy's got so many holes in his uh, tights <laughs> and in his gear. 
he doesn't go and buy new ones. He doesn't get them fixed. He doesn't replace them. And maybe he's the smart man because, you know, you might sit there and be like, all right, well, all these other people, like a Tony Nese, a guy who, like, let's face it, Tony Nese probably isn't very much higher up on the card in AEW than Taguchi is in New Japan. Different types of wrestlers, different, you know, who knows what the future holds for them. But right now in 2022, they're they're probably at, at a similar station in life and they're similar, you know, companies. But Tony Nese is going out there and he's spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on his gear raw raw's gear he's got the raw gear and it's not getting him booked any higher <laughs> any more prominently not making any more money and you got to gucci who's been around forever and he's like fuck it they're not gonna push me and just put on the same shit i've been having for like four years at this point i mean yeah since we've been doing the show i'm pretty sure he's had the, yeah, the exact same gear no, he changes it. There's a few variations I've noticed, <laughs> but the only reason I notice on him and not other people is because the holes. He he literally works in gear that's got like rips and tears in it, and like when that happens to Kenny Omega or Tanahashi, they like at least have the decency to like change the gear out, you know, Naito, whoever. But like Taguchi's like, nah, I'm gonna just keep wearing it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and no one from New Japan says shit. Like, and it's only a podcast like this. It's like, why is this? man like literally working in holy like gear this is terrible <laughs> um by the way they were in the new aomori prefecture sports park medea arena they that they ran that same venue ver, uh during best super juniors and i thought it was a really great venue and they met they made mention of that on the commentary i listened uh, because i waited to watch the show with the english mm. um by the way kevin always great and um but yeah, man, uh, I don't have much more to add to it. I, I didn't feel like the only thing that they did do good in the match was they made Hikaleo look pretty strong. Yeah. But they still kind of undermined that at the end. They they made Tanahashi look terrible. Like, I don't know. Yeah. The match, was, it, it just wasn't for me. And like, at this point, too, I'm like, where do they go next? Yeah, who, who knows? Uh, we had a question here from Les Commission 7252. It says, with one year of House of Torture being formed together as a subunit for Bullet Club, what grade would you give them? I would give them a B. I get that most of the time they cheat so much that it becomes go-away heat, and it's sad to see the classic evil in show matches, but as heels, they play the role right, and many fans like us wonder how fans would react to them once cheering would come back, and they got the heat on the first couple of shows where fans were able to cheer. What do you guys think? That shit was in Corkin. That that shit don't count. <laughs> the smarts. Yeah, it's a smart crowd. It's like working in front of a PWG crowd. It's not the same thing as at all. <laughs> Especially since they weren't able to make noise for years and years. And then, like, they make noise the first night. People are like, oh, they got heat. Oh, my God, they got heat. It worked. We weren't wrong all along. It's like, no, bro. Like, it's fucking Corkin. You know, these are the same people that, like, will chant holy shit. You know, the the one place in Japan where they'll literally chant holy shit if they are given the chance to see something that's like, right. holy shit worthy. They'll, they'll chant, this is awesome. Yeah, they'll chant, this is awesome <laughs> in Korgan. What are you talking about, bro? <laughs> here's, here's what it comes down to for me, and I know I'm not usually the stars guy, but as we've said on the show, ratings and stars and takes and opinions are not, not a, game. a game. They're not a game. How many great 
three and a half plus star matches as any member of the House of Torture had in the past year. I'll wait. Boy. <laughs> I don't think you can find one. And if you can find one, it's it's such small, dismal numbers. The fact of the matter is, hey, do they have an act that might get some quote-unquote heat? Sure. Maybe. We don't even actually really know because we've been in clap crowds for so long. But do we get good matches? Do we get programs that matter? Do we make money? Am I invested? Do I want to see these guys get come up and against? Like at this point, I'm I'm higher on Carl Anderson getting his come up against <laughs> WrestleMania than I am on Evil and Ujiro and Show, who I used to call Show Michaels because I thought he was going to be this breakout star from his tag team. And not, not no more. <laughs> I'd rather watch, bro. In 2022, I'd rather watch a yo match than a show match, and I don't even like yo. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking oh, about man. here. I would give them an F for fucking terrible mm. because they have been terrible. I'm sorry. They are not good. They're bad. They're the worst thing in New Japan. Worse than Fale. Mm. Worse than anything in, in, in um, Bullet Club. The worst part of New Japan. The biggest thing most terrible thing is house of torture and i'm not usually that guy that goes in hard on people like that i feel like the last time i went in really hard on anything like this was evil when he won the title the first time yeah they suck i i think i would go uh d minus <laughs> just just because there have been a, a few little nuggets where we talked about you know like those cork and shows where they're, they're getting the heat reactions I think some of the stuff that they did with the Chaos team of uh, Yoshihashi and Goto, I feel like some of that stuff was okay. Uh, what, like the dog, the dog cage match? Not, not the dog cage match. <laughs> uh, they had some other like just normal six man, normal tag matches. I felt were like okay, um, and I feel like they've, they've been in some more programs this year that were a little bit more tolerable. But overall, I mean, they they are. Uh, pretty awful as an act um i mean it to me it, it's go away heat for me like they come on the screen and i'm like okay let, let's fast forward let me scroll on the phone let me do put a little laundry in like these Yo, guys what, what kind of rating do you think the house of torture as a collective unit has on cage match right now uh i'm gonna get and, and keep in mind they've only existed for a year so everything that's been rated is from the past year I'm going to guess a uh, five. The house of torture has a 1.21 <laughs> rating on. Cage <laughs> the average rating in. Uh, yeah. The average rating across. Actually, the average rating across the board is 1.13, but they got the, uh, you know, they got the roundup to 1.21. Oh my gosh. That's 61 votes. And the comments are bad. <laughs> really, 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 really bad. There's a lot of 0.0 ratings. here. Actually, that's what tells you the, the truth about it. There's a couple 10s and a couple 9s. People that really love the heat. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot. There's 35 0.0 ratings of people that have rated this, this group as a whole in the past year. So, I'm just saying. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a, a horrible act. Uh, I, I just don't see, like, the, the long-term, like, future for the group uh, and kind of what the plan is. I mean, I get, to me, I mean, I guess you can do it as a, more of an opener kind of thing, but... It, it was so interesting at first when there was this idea that we might end up with an evil versus Jay White thing, and I think that was part of the idea, but... It never materialized, just like all the other Bullet Club, quote-unquote, civil wars. But honestly, honestly, even that wasn't that interesting. Like, picture what a evil House of Torture versus Jay White match would look like. Jeremy, give me the book, and I'll make it compelling. I, I wish I could give you the book, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's still Gato and Dick Togo <laughs> and Jado who are like, let's get heat, brother. We need to get more heat, brother. And can you imagine the amount of run-ins and shenanigans in an evil Jay White match? I wonder what a Josh Smith promoted wrestling <laughs> show would look like. It basically, be, it basically It'd be, be New Japan. <laughs> It'd be like a mix between Bloodsport and Smoky Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So yeah, so yeah. all hail the six-man tag team champions, House of Torture. Yeah. So yeah, so now we're going to talk about um, some other uh, Battle Autumn shows. The TV title tournament will resume this week, and we had a question. Do you know what that feels like? Do you remember that time when Shawn Michaels wrestled Hulk Hogan and then showed up the night after on Raw and gave that, that like, scathing promo? You're talking about uh, the SummerSlam match? After the, the night after on yeah, Raw. Yeah, yeah. Shawn Michaels was like, last night, Hulk Hogan was just too good for me. He was just... His catch-as-catch-can acumen, <laughs> he was too swift, he was too strong, and he was too skilled and experienced for the heartbreak kid. But unfortunately, he's not here tonight, and I am, and the show keeps rolling on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, literally just wrote off the entire loss and then moved right into a program with Chris Masters. Yeah. Like, Fuck that shit. Let's go. He went, he went back right back to being a baby face after being a heel that whole feud. He'd been a heel for months and he was like, and yeah, and then they turn a baby in seconds. And it, like that's how I feel like we wa- we watched this show, Six Man. All right, let's move it on. We got the <laughs> TV title coming right up. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the TV title tournament will resume this week. And we had a question from Rainbow and Slam Pig. What has been your favorite TV title tournament match so far? Sonata and Tai Chi. Yeah, easily Sonata and Tai Chi. Those guys absolutely killed it. Banger of a, a main event. That that's been a re- that was a really fun matchup. I mean, you take the one guy that we love that when put in situations where he's required to showcase his strong style of skills in Tai Chi, and then match him up with a guy that we think is technically incredible in Sonata, but wrestles for just far too long and you you force him to wrestle a 15 minute sprint it's magic yeah all right so let's talk about the shows coming up so tomorrow october 26 we got a battle autumn show show open up with kosei fujita and yuto nakashima taking on the united empires aaron hanare and gideon gray then we'll have Alex Zane, David Finley, and a Tiger Mask taking on Taka Michinoku, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Hikaleo and Hiroshi Tanahashi will take on Dick Togo and Evil. 
Doki, El Desperado, and Taichi will take on Gato, Kenta, and Taiji Shimori. Master Wato and Togi Makabe will take on Hiromu Takahashi and Sonata. Bushi, Tetsuya Naito, and Teton will take on Francisco Akira, Jeff Cobb, and TJP. Then in the semi-main event, we have another first-round NJPW World TV title tournament match as Toru Yano will take on the Great Okan. And then the main event will be the last first-round tournament match as Tomohiro Ishii takes on the son of strong style, Ren Narita. Yeah, and a couple things with this card before we preview the World TV title tournament matches. Um, We forgot to mention that Bushi and Teton have, in all of these preview matches, pretty much owned the United Empire team of Akira and TJP. So really kind of establishing the the fact that like this new duo between Teton and and, uh, and Bushi like might potentially have Akira and TJP's number. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, these two matches that are coming up here, Yano and Okan, Ishii and Narita, we saw preview matches of them play out uh, over this past show that we just reviewed. So let's jump into this here. Uh, the first match of the night, Yano versus Great Okan. And this is one that really gives me pause because it's Yano. And Yano has never been known to be an Iron Man when it comes to wrestling. He's not someone who's going to go out there and give you even a 15-minute match. I can't remember the last time I saw Toriano wrestle for 15 minutes. So on the one hand, he might be tailor-made for the TV title you know, tournament rule set. At the same time, I don't want to see Yano advance past great Okan, and I kind of feel like bad that Okan's the guy that drew Yano. And this match might either be highly entertaining because I could see Okan being one of the there's certain guys that just work really well with Yano in his comedy matches, whether it's a ZSJ or Sonata or Abushi or Kenny Omega. There's like a select few guys that just work that style really well with him. And then there's a lot of guys who don't. And I feel like Okan probably actually might be one of the guys that is able to comedically work with his timing and get something funny. But um, I don't know if I want to watch Toriano have funny matches in this TV title tournament, especially considering how stellar the tournament's been thus far. Right, and I know Okan and Yano do have a history, so this will be their third match. So the first time they wrestled in the the New Japan Cup, which uh, Yano got the win there. That was a 2021 uh, New Japan Cup, and then they had a uh, match in the G1 this year, which uh, Great Okan got his uh, win back there. Um, I don't remember either of those matches. Uh, To me... If you told me just now this is the first time meeting between them, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I, they never wrestled before. Well, And I've definitely seen those matches. I don't recall them the, whatsoever. The, Not a gimmick, for <laughs> real. Shootsies. The New Japan Cup match has a, a 4.40 on cage match. <laughs> well, I mean, but it's a Yano match, so it's not like, you know, I get it. They're and, not good. And the G1 has a, a 3.75. Yeah, they're they're not good at all. Um, so yeah, the, but, but with how outrageous Great Okan's character has been recently, especially over the past like eight months, I could see them like kind of developing, you know, that natural sort of chemistry to have something that's memorable, if not 
you know, even if it's not like a quote unquote good match, it might be it highly entertaining. But then again, it might not be. It's a Yano match, so it's hard to tell. Yeah, who knows? And the thing is, you know, like you mentioned, we we really haven't gotten a, a quick pinfall yet in this tournament. Like I feel like most of the matches have been going around 14 minutes. You know, Sonata Taichi went 14.57 right up against the, the time limit. Um, so I feel like you have to at some point do a match that ends in like two to three minutes. And Yano is the guy to do that with. Um, and also, you got to think right. World Tag League is coming up. And I got to think Ocon and Cobb are going to be in that. So you don't need Ocon tied up in this tournament. Um, so to me, that it's kind of screaming Yano wins. Plus, if Yano wins, and you know, jump ahead a little bit here with Narita and Ishii, if Narita wins, like everybody thinks he is, then you would have to put Narita up against Ocon if Ocon wins. And do you want to beat Ocon with Narita? Do you want to beat Narita with Ocon? Or can you just have Narita beat Yano? That's assuming Narita's going R- through. But right, right. Same thing works with Ishii. You, anyway, you know. Right. Um. Yeah, and they did beat Jeff Cobb earlier in the tournament. Right. The argument against that would be, do you want Great Ocon and Jeff Cobb, the number one contenders to the tag team titles, both getting jobbed out quickly in the first round of a singles tournament? Does that hurt their credibility, even though these weren't tag team title matches? Is that not good for their reputation? On the Jeff Cobb side, it's it's Dunzo, and also it was Yoshihashi, and he kind of got a roll-up win, so... Well, yeah. that's the thing with Yano, it's pro- it could probably be a roll up two or a low blow kind right. of thing, and so it's an easy. Both of them have valid excuses for losing. You protect them with these wacky kind of roll up losses, and then they move right. on to trying to get belts from FTR. Maybe you put Ocon through and you make him the TV title champion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could. That's also a possibility. Yeah, I don't know. You know what? I I agree with you. Um, I hate to say it, but like. Any other scenario, I would normally say Ocon needs the win. But because World Tag League is around the corner, because we already, you know, we'll get to this in the news, but because FTR is coming to Japan and everything like that, seems pretty clear to me that we're getting a Toriano win here. And we're going to wind up with him and Narita in a next round matchup. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Like, I was watching that that six man with Ocon from that show we just reviewed. I'm like, man, he looks so awesome. Like the, the post match promos, like his mannerism, his wrestling. Like I, I'm ready for him to get behind this guy fully. Um, but yeah, I just I have a hard time seeing him get through here. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't. In a certain sense, I don't at all. Like, could I see Ocon beating Yano? Absolutely. But yeah. then it's like. But then he needs to go through either Ishii and Narita, and then, you know, further into the tournament, it's like, do you want to invest in this guy in a singles push at this current time when him and Cobb are very clearly getting ready to go on a tag team run together again? You know, and certainly this company has never shied away from having double champions, but it just doesn't feel right for like the right timing for that, especially with the idea that a lot of people believe Narita is going on a run. And like you said, I don't know if hypothetically if Narita is the guy that's going in, into the next round. Do you want this 
returning young lion fresh off excursion to defeat, you know, a guy that you're still building up in Ocon. I don't know if that's what you want. So plus Yano for a young guy returning is a huge obstacle always. So Mm -hmm. I think Yano cheats, like you said, picks up the win and we're off to the races. So then the main event with Ishii and Rita, like we talked about the preview match, like this is going to be an absolute banger. I think we're going to get, you know, vibes of that great Ishii uh, Shibata sprint that everybody loves. Um, I think we're going to get something similar to that here. Um, and, you know, I, I think I mean, if it's me, I'm, I'm going with friend Narita. Um, I know Ishii hasn't really done a lot as far as, you know, results wise this year. I mean, he still had, had bangers, but, um, I, I think, you know, this is supposed to be a title that's going to be focused on some of the newer stars, younger stars. I, I, I go with Narita here. I cannot wait for this match. This is the, the most anticipated match of the first round of this TV title tournament for me. And I believe this, this show is a cheering crowd show, correct? I believe it is. Yes. In so, Corkin. I mean. Even if they don't do the famous quote unquote Ishii Shibata match with the famous, you know, jump off spot where, you know, Narita runs across the ring and, you know, hits this guy with a single leg drop kick. I'm okay with it because you know why? Shibata and Ishii had a fucking ton of great matches that were incredible. And not just them, throw Goto into the mix and any other number of strong style guys from that period. And in a certain sense, Narita sort of a throwback to that style. So I'm loving the idea of Ishii and Narita. If they didn't pay a single homage to the previous matches between Shibata and Ishii, I'm sure it would be fine. I don't really care at this point. I just want to see Narita. And like I said um, on the show two weeks ago when I was talking to James, anytime you ask me who I want to see someone wrestle for the first time in, in New Japan, it's always going to be Ishii. Mm-hmm. So for Narita to return and, and face off against Ishii in a high-profile tournament first-round singles match, that's music to my ears. And um, I don't normally advocate for Tomohiro Ishii to lose, especially in a tournament like this, but it's a youth tournament. It's a return from excursion, and I think it's high time for them to push the young blood. So... I'm ready for uh, Narita to hit this man with the Narita special. One, two, three, and we're off. Yeah, I think that definitely needs to happen. Um, you know, we've been talking for a while now. We need to get a youth movement going in New Japan, and a lot of the guys from that, you know, 2017, 2018 class are starting to come back. Hikaleo, Ren Narita, we're seeing what Chota Umino um, is doing. So a lot of these guys, uh, you know, great Ocon, a lot of these guys are starting to come back, starting to get established. So right now we need to really start pushing a lot of these 2017, 2018 young Lions. And I think Narita is, is a good step here. Well, you know, a youth movement is all well and good, but I'm for the violence movement. <laughs> let's let's bring some real to the New Japan. And the realness is Red Narita. The guy that we have been banking on since, since 2017. Day one. You can go since back. Day one. You can go to the archive on this feed or the, the network feed. Hear us review uh, Narita and Yagi. Bro, uh, 2017, we're like, 
I kind of like Brendan Rita. Bro, I, I will never forget uh, being at your old apartment watching Brendan Rita and the Yagi matching. And it's both of us just losing our minds on just how hard-hitting and violent those matches were. And just how awesome Narita was back then, 2017. Now, uh, we'll get to it later in the show, but you did watch the uh, the Kita Moore matches we discussed, right? Yes, I did, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was funny. Like, I was, I rewatched that one match. We'll get to it later. But I was like, we really treated, at the time, this uh, Young Lions Cup as, like, a big fucking deal. Like, we got together and watched the finals together. <laughs> Like it was SummerSlam. <laughs> they were in Shinjuku face, bro. <laughs> oh, the, man. The guys from Tradition worked in the main event of the night. We're, we got together to watch that show together. We're like, oh, you know, big tournament, Young Lions Cup. <laughs> Gotta get high. You know funny? That's not the only time we did that. Three years ago, we did that for the other Young Lions Cup. We got together. And and watch the fine. Well, actually, watch the whole tournament together. Like mm-hmm. this is a very pro Young Lions podcast. Yes, always, always has. Yes, been. and always will be. <laughs> um, so oh, moving on, uh, the next battle I'm show will be on Thursday, October 27th. The full card, as of this recording, has not been released, but we do know there will be two world television title matches the quarterfinals never, never mind the fluff let's get to the meat and potatoes here <laughs> yeah the, the two uh the quarterfinals will start so we'll have yoshihashi versus evil and david finley the rebel versus zach saber jr well if there's anybody out there that can get a great singles performance out of evil especially like the house of torture version of evil it is Yoshihashi, and I'm saying that because I know earlier I, I like was mentioning that there have been few and far between great matches from guys from House of Torture, but the one caveat to that, and I guess I forgot to mention it earlier, every now and again in the G1, Evil does have a good match, and the few that I remember are with ZSJ and Yoshihashi. Yeah. So Didn't he have one with uh, Kenta at one point, or no? I don't know. <laughs> But um, that's a match that I think is very interesting, and I'm, I'm assuming the winner of these two matches are going to face off against one another, right? I believe so, yeah. Let me pull up the, the bracket real quick to make sure that's accurate. In, in the same respect, David Finley, this is a guy that's surging off of a career-high performance against uh, Will Ospreay that we sang all the praises in the world about a few episodes ago. And then Zack Sabre Jr., who this tournament I think is tailor-made for a guy like him, and he's just having an incredible year so um yeah so yeah, stu- yeah the winner the winner of yeah evil and yoshihashi will meet the winner of uh finley and saber this is a really really tough one to call for me i think just because i see zsj going to the finals against the narita i'm gonna call zach versus evil i think i'm just gonna go scratch on this one you know I'm going to go with David Finley versus Evil. Um, so, again, I think using the World Tag League logic, I, I'm pretty sure Dangerous Techers will probably be in World Tag League, so I don't think you need to tie Zach up in this tournament. I know a lot of people have been fancy booking Zach and Narita as the finals. 
which makes a ton of sense um, with the whole Shibata tie in with both those guys. Um, but at the same point, you got to look at what Dave Finley's done this year. He's coming off a huge uh, momentum off the, the Will Ospreay match. And I think it's time to, you know, to capitalize on this guy, do something with this guy. And so what better way than to give Dave Finley something than to get like an upset win over Zack Sabre here? That's a bold statement. And um, I can't I can't say that there's very much wrong with it. I mean, I think that that's definitely a way that they could go and it makes all the sense in the world. Here's the one thing I would say against it, though. Um, the semifinals of this tournament are pretty much being paid off on November 5th, right? Yes, the final, finals and, at Wrestle Kingdom. Right, so there's a big jump between the semifinals being on November 5th, and then you got a whole two months, essentially, until the finals actually take place on January 4th. That being said, um, hypothetically, if you put Zach all the way to the finals, hypothetically, and he loses... Then a couple weeks later, he can be in the World Tag League, and it he's you know no worse for the wear or whatever you know. Right, you're pushing to the semifinals. You mean? I would push him through, or yeah, you push him through. Actually, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. You push him through to the semifinals, and then a few weeks later, he's in World Tag League, and he can after every match cut promos about how they're going to win World Tag League, and he's also going to win the. Uh, you know, TV title in the finals. And truth be told, I don't think Dangerous Techers are winning World Tag League this year. I think that they've already kind of flirted with the finals and everything like that in the past. So I don't see any reason to believe that they're going through to the finals to wrestle FTR or Cobb and O'Connor or anything like that. Is that how you see it going? I'm not sure. Like again, I think FTR is going to be pretty much out of the picture. I, I think, at least for for the tag team title, just the way stuff has been going. Uh, obviously, Cobb and O'Connor I think are going to be in that title mix. Whether they're going to be the champions, win World Tag League, or getting at some kind of three way tie, I think they're going to be involved. And depending on whether or not FTR is involved, I feel like Dangerous Techers is like the one team that Cobb and O'Connor really haven't faced a lot. And it's, right. kind of, it's kind of a fresh matchup. Um, so I could see that being the, the Wrestle Kingdom tag team title match. But FTR, they're coming on November 5th, but they're not defending the titles against Cobb and Ocon to the best of our knowledge right now, are they? Well, as of right now, a match has not been announced. They cut a promo asking for New Japan to give them their, their best team to challenge. So I'm assuming it's going to be FTR versus Cobb and Ocon, and Cobb and Ocon are going to win. I think they're going to defend the titles one time there. And then come back and lose the belt in yeah, the Dome on January fourth. Okay. Yeah, and I think Cobb and O'Connor are going to win World Tag League and challenge for the titles. That's my booking. Yeah. So that's where some of my well, like yeah. thinking is. The one thing though, also with World Tag League being single block again, though, I can see some kind of funky situation where we get a third team thrown in based off of multiple teams being tied. At the, at the top, don't, don't wish that kind of negativity on me. I, I'm not wishing, dude. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> using previous previous knowledge, you know, previous facts of what New Japan does with these single blocks, they use All them the as precedent. A, yeah, they use it as an opportunity to, to throw multiple teams um, in a situation. I will say this: if David Finley were to go through and go to the finals against Ren Narita, I would find that very difficult to call as to who I think would win that match. 
yeah, see, it's it's unpredictable. It's a fresh matchup, and it's only it's only fifteen minutes of time that you're giving to them on Wrestle Kingdom. I feel like you can give uh, that match the perfect timing for that matchup. I don't feel it takes away from anybody else, and then you can throw you know Dangerous Checker. You can throw Zach in a tag match, or you, you can find something else uh, for Zach to do. Um, who knows? Maybe you want you want to throw, bring back the Rev Pro uh, British title. But, you know, bring Rick Knight Junior over. Um, well, I, I said this a few weeks ago. Was like my initial knee-jerk reaction is ZSJ Narita. That's the finals. But as I've looked at the tournament more holistically, I'm like, you know, Evil's in there. David Finley's in there. It's hard to like call right now. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit more unpredictable than it maybe looked at first glance. Right. But um, so I mean, your prediction is Dave Finley versus Evil. Yeah, and then I think that's a, a a good match for Finley to kind of overcome the shenanigans of House of Torture and Evil to get on to the next round from there. So you're kind of giving this like a New Japan Cup style of booking. I mean, you're, you're having two compelling narratives meet at the top. And I feel personally, if Narita is going to win, they need to have something that's a little bit more old hat, like a ZSJ go through so that because he's got so much established tournament wins and everything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need a compelling storyline behind him. He's the big boss at the end. Yeah. My, that my, my only ZSJ can overcome or own, that uh, Narita can overcome. My only thing is, though, would they let Narita overcome Saber? That is a tough call. Yeah, that's a real. But then again, it's only 15 minutes. Right. Um, I don't and know. We don't we don't know what's going to happen in the finals because you know the whole tournament's coin flip. But are they going to determine the finals of the tournament on a coin flip? What happens if they go to a draw? Yeah, I mean, I hope not because that would be dumb. And bro, how? Okay, let me just let me give you an example. Or just here's my booking. Those two guys go to the finals. Wrestle Kingdom. They go the full 15 minutes, right? And then, boom, we get the WrestleMania 12. You know, it looks like it's done, but then all of a sudden, Shibata comes down the aisle and he says, give these dudes <laughs> five you know, more minutes. <laughs> five more minutes, or he says, they're, they're going to sudden death overtime. <laughs> no time limit. And then, you know, and then they have to finish it in the next five minutes. That would be incredible. Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, if they're going to do, do an angle like that, albeit, but I, I feel like with, especially with a one night card, it, you don't have a lot of wiggle room to be doing a lot of extra stuff like they've done the last couple of years. So I feel like uh, I don't think they would let Narita beat Saber at Wrestle Kingdom for this. So I think Narita beat beating, him. <laughs> you gotta beat him. <laughs> I, I feel like Finley is an opponent that Narita could beat. Bro, I feel like Narita or Finley's a guy that Narita needs to lose to. Mm. I'm, I'm, I know as weird as that sounds. I'm kind of more nervous about him facing uh, like a David Finley than I am a ZSJ. Hmm, that's, that's interesting. Well, I feel like ZSJ is so established he can he can handle the loss, but like David Finley really can't handle the loss. He's a guy that just recently got established at that level, and if if they go on that level, he needs to win. He needs to beat Narita. Narita needs to be the guy chasing him down the line. Mm. Which I don't want. I want Narita to be established. <laughs> let, let, let's have David Finley 
chase him a little bit down the line. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. fine with that. <laughs> All right. So you you got uh, Evil and Saber. I got Evil and Finley. Yeah, but it's all knee-jerk. I don't really know. You've kind of convinced me pretty strongly. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, so then uh, moving on, October 30th, we'll have more tournament action. The winner of Ishii and Narita will face the winner of Yano and Okan. Um, so I think we're both thinking Narita versus Yano there, right? I believe it's going to be Narita versus Yano. Although, this up. This is a tougher, like, tournament to call than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, For all the, like, there's not very many people under 30 naysayers, like, this is a pretty good tournament. Yeah. Um, and then the other tournament match would be Sonata versus Kenta. Um, That match Kenta had with Goto, I loved. And the match Sonata had with Taichi, I loved. I don't know how I'm going to feel about Sonata versus Kenta. But I think it all depends which Sonata and which Kenta we get. If we get the, the guys that were in the previous matches, if we get a Sonata who faced Taichi and we get the Kenta that faced Goto, I think we could have a banger here. Well, I don't know what a Sonata-Kenta match even looks like. I can't recall them ever working together. I'm sure they have, mm-hmm. but not to any outstanding measure in my book. Yeah. Um, and then again, I think we're both booking Narita to go all the way through and beat Yano. Mm-hmm. So... I'm all for Kenta Narita. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that let's, sounds great. Let's have yeah, and, and you know I've never been a Sonata lover anyway, so let's have Kenta knock this dude's head off, put him in the game over, whatever, and let's get Kenta and Narita. Let's do that. I'm all, I'm all for that, dude. I'm all for that again with, with the World Tag League, um, you know, thing. I, I think Sonata will probably be in Tag League with maybe Shingo. Um, so again. I, I was thinking about this this past uh, earlier today too. I don't know if we really mentioned how awesome the hard way blood with Kent and Goto actually was. Oh yeah, week. that yeah that was dope. Yeah, we had a guest last week, Bash. Thank you for coming on, Bash. You did a great job. But sometimes when we have a guest, like I like lose track of the things I like want to remember to talk about. And I was mm. like, I wanted to make mention of how awesome like the blood and that. I know like blood isn't always great, but like because it's so sparse in New Japan, I was like. Fuck, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it elevated that match. Like you already had like the urgency of the fifteen minutes, and then the the, the blood and this how like, dangerous the match was getting. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I I think Narita and Kenta is the best stylistic matchup here. Uh, I mean, I guess Narita and Tanada would be a good like. Nah, just... fuck that. Because Tanada's <laughs> gonna like roll them up into like. You know, a uh, 1970s world of sports <laughs> role, and he's going to pin him. And then we're going to wind up with, like, Sonata versus Dave Finley. I don't want that shit. Mm. No offense to either man, but that just doesn't sound fun to me. I want Narita against whoever. So yeah. let's, let's Kenta, do us a favor, get Sonata out of the way. <laughs> and let's, let's get this hard striking, you know. Also, also... And I, this just solidifies it more. I hadn't thought of this. It's coming to me like this is an epiphany from on high. But uh, who is Narita's, you know, sensei? Shibata. Come on. Well, let's Kenta, see. Shibata. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Narita. We never did get that payoff to that whole entire long drawn out angle. So you know, yeah. Let's let's get that yeah, going let, here. Let's run it. I can let's imagine, run it. I can imagine the promos Kenta is going to cut two to help like Juice's match up. <laughs> Shibata, you got to show up on eleven five. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, let's to run see it. this man take down your arch nemesis, former best friend BFF, like come on, let's do it. Yeah. So then, uh, moving over to New Japan of America. On... I know that I know that we were a little bit harsh on Gato this uh, earlier in the episode about like you know handing me the book away from Gato, but he might still know what he's doing because <laughs> look at this, look at this. He's got Shibata's boy taking on you know Kenta. That sounds awesome. This is the one thing he booked without. Jado or Dick Togo. He's like, no, guys, I, I got this one. I, I don't need your. I, I, I got this one figured out already. <laughs> um, so moving over to New Japan of America on Thursday, October 27th, we have the night before Rumble on 44th Street, a Halloween special, which is going to be a complete mystery card. We know on the poster there was a lot of. Um, you know, silhouettes of, you know, advertised mystery wrestlers that will be um, at the card. So we have no idea what this card is going to be. Did you notice something? Hmm. After I am, I'm, I don't want to like take all the credit, but like, I know that our show, our Twitter account isn't like the most important thing on the internet. Like I have no illusions about that, but I will tell you this. There's no denying that members of new japan's office are aware of the things we post and the things we share specifically us Mm -hmm. and i did post a copy of the original poster that they had that had both bobby fish and amazing reds silhouettes in the poster and ever since i posted that they have never posted (laughs) the original poster they changed it up (laughs) they completely I think there was one time they did, but for the most part, they short they did the shortened, abbreviated version of that poster where it just has that one figure in the back where it kind of looks like it's Mox, but I can't, yeah. I can't definitively say that. But like they got rid of the ones that were Amazing Red and, and Bobby Fish, maybe because we, I feel like it might be because I posted a picture where it was like it's clearly these two guys. Right, and I think the moxing would make sense based off of what we're hearing on the reports of his new AW contract. Like he's not going to be advertised at a lot of indie events. He does because he does. He wants to kind of have fun. Doesn't want the pressure to be on him to kind of draw or be the you know the big main event. Um, and so I think it could be that kind of thing we're seeing where he's unadvertised because they don't want people to expect him or expect a certain version of John Moxley, and it's going to be a nice surprise. There's a part of me, though, that's like, okay, that's all well and good, but like, is that prudent or smart on New Japan's part to have one of the biggest draws in North America and not advertise him for the show that you're going to have him on? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how the tickets were for this the first night. I mean, I know the second night sold out immediately, and I think the first night was close to selling out, so they were super small. If they were in a bigger venue, I would say definitely, because it's so small, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a whole nother discourse. We discussed that previously, so I don't yeah. need to jump into the whole guys, you should have booked a bigger venue yeah. argument. But uh, putting that aside, this show probably is going to be very fun. We've seen in the past in Japan where when these guys are doing 
Halloween themed shows. They dress up in all sorts of crazy costumes. We mm-hmm. get crazy matches that we're not used to having. And then the idea that there could be surprises. And I know that I posted that poster that had the silhouettes of amazing red and Bobby fish on them based on the previous new Japan renders they had. That doesn't mean that that's who's actually showing up. That just means that that's what I saw on the poster. Doesn't mean that they were actually physically advertising those guys. I think that those could have just been, you know, they could aggress grab. Like, hey, we need some silhouettes. Let's just grab some random. Exactly, exactly. So we don't really know who's showing up on that show, but it's New Japan. It's New Japan of America. I'm sure they're going to do really fun, exciting, and you know, cool stuff for that show. So, plus we've seen guys dress up and do all sorts of wacky stuff at Halloween in the past. So I'm sure we'll get some of that fun shenanigans too. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you, Jeremy, though, the night before. You fucking love the nightmare before Christmas. <laughs> and I feel like they're kind of like riffing on that a little bit. And I've never asked you, why do you love the nightmare before? We live together and I know you love this fucking movie. <laughs> but why do you like that movie so much? I, I, I don't know, man. It's just something from childhood. It was something I, I watched as a kid and I, I just really enjoyed as a kid. And it's just kind of stuck with me. I don't know. I, I really like it. <laughs> Yeah, that's like the most like like devilish thing that you're into is Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> I don't mess with those evil spirits, man. The only, the only evil things that you fuck with is like Nightmare Before Christmas and like Crow Sting, and that's about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, oh man, but yeah, so this show is going to be a mystery vortex. We have nothing announced. We have no talent announced aside from a, you know, a couple names that were on the poster, but we really don't know what's happening on that show. But the next night is rumble on 44th street. Yep. So that'll be Friday, October 28th. We'll have uh, the chaos team of our good friend, Rocky Romero teaming up with yo to take on the house of torture team of show and usual Takahashi. Then we'll have uh, the friends of John Moxley, Homicide, Shota Umino, and Wheeler, Utah. They will take on the team, filthy team of Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, and filthy Tom Lawler. We'll have Clark Connors returning from injury to take on Minoru Suzuki. We'll have the NJPW Strong Openweight Tag Team titles on the line as Aussie Open defends against Kevin Knight and the DKC. And the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Saban. Then the KOPW Provisional title will be on a line in a New York City street fight as Shingo Takagi defends against El Fantasmo. And then we'll have Eddie Kingston and Kazuchika Okada teaming up to take on the Bullet Club team of Switchblade, Jay White, and Rock Hard Juice Robinson. Yeah, so this is an interesting show. Um, a lot of domestic names. Uh, I would say of all of the um, you know, past year's New Japan of America pay-per-views, this might be the most authentically domestic New Japan show or series of shows that we've seen. Yeah. A um, lot of good stuff here. So the first match we got, Rocky and Yo, it's almost like a little reunion of Rapongi 3K. Right. Taking on Sho and uh Ujiro. So I don't know. That just that sounds like a Is is this the first time Rocky's faced off against Sho since the turn? I don't know if that's the case, but I can't recall any time that Rocky and Yo 
faced off against show. So um, you think in America there's going to be a Rapungi 3K, 3K, 3K chant? Maybe. And maybe we're going to get Rocky and Yo as one of the teams in the Junior Tag League. Oh, that's a possibility, yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but, I mean, that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, um, if I mean, if that were the case, I would probably have Rocky and Yo go over. Plus, House Torture is not so hot in uh, – you know, America anyway. So maybe you uh, start the show off on a good note and you put over Rocky and yo, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would, I would go Rocky and yo going over the, the next match. Um, I feel like you know, the, the biggest star in the business will Utah. Got to get a, a big win here on this show. I thought you were going to say uh, homicide. homicide. <laughs> I was like, what, what business we talk about? <laughs> No, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, Jarrell Nelson's right there for the for the beating, right? Yeah, he's kind of been the pin eater on on that unit. So yeah, either have Utah or Umino get get the the pinfall there. I mean, if, if there were someone to take a pinfall on um, the babyface side, I mean, it's probably either Homicide or Umino. Probably not Wheeler Utah, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, uh, um, but that should be fun. Yeah, then Suzuki and Connors. I feel like Connor needs a, a big win returning from injury and kind of the pick up back up the momentum he built after Forbidden Door. But I don't know. Beating Suzuki is a, a tough task. I forgot about all that stuff with Forbidden Door. Like, that's how long ago it's been. But uh, glad to see that Clark Connors is returning. And this is an awesome return match for him. Um, there's a part of me that agrees with you. There's another part of me that's like, it's Minoru Suzuki in America. They might just have him win because that's what they do, you know? Yeah. So, but um, I'll ride with you. I think Clark Connor should pick up that win there. Um, in the past, it didn't help other people to pick up those wins, but, um, you know, I won't. Never mind. I was going to make a joke. I'm not going to go down that way. Uh then the, the strong openweight tag team titles. I feel like Kevin Knight and DKC are getting kind of robbed here. These guys have been picking up wins on strong and out of nowhere, the machine guns just come, come in and get thrown in here. Yeah. But I mean, the machine guns have, you know, tenure and Kevin Knight and the DKC are just young boys. So <laughs> it's uh, taken them all this time just to get to the level that most machine guns already like just sit at. Yeah. Perpetually. I do think this. I think Aussie Open are dropping the strong openweight tag team titles, and I feel like the whole purpose of this match was to get DKC and um, Kevin Knight in the match so they could lose to the Motor City Machine Guns so that Aussie Open can say we never actually lost the belts while still dropping them. Mm, and then you think they go to uh, World Tag League? Titleless. Mm. Had you not thought of that? I honestly had not like I figured that they would be in tag league, but I hadn't thought about them dropping the titles. Well, why are they doing a triple threat with young lions that can easily take the pinfall at all? Like it's yeah. such a it's a dead giveaway. Yeah, I yeah. Now, never thought of this. Yeah, now that you say it. Yeah, that's gonna be pretty crazy. Machine guns as a strong tag team champion. That's gonna be pretty cool. Well, the strong titles have already showed up in uh, Impact, anyways. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd be down for for more uh, Saban and Shelly on, on New Japan Strong. Oh, and again, I yeah. mean, Machine Guns are another team that I feel like they could be in the Junior Tag League. Um, but I don't know if you want them as strong champions in the Junior Tag League. Um, so. Why not? 
I mean, I guess you could, yeah. You could, easily. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So yeah, machine guns, and that would be a huge kind of upset surprise, too. So I don't think it's that surprising. They put in they put in those black trunk dudes, and I was like, oh, they're losing. But I mean, Aussie, switching the titles. I mean, Aussie Open could easily pin those guys, too, and, and retain and not pin the guns. Nah, they only put the young lines in this match specifically so the <laughs> machine guns could win and not pin Aussie Open. I mean, yeah, now you say it, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. I would be shocked if I was wrong. Like, if you gave me the choice about whether or not I should put my entire life savings on <laughs> the outcome of this match or not, I would probably, I would take those odds. I would bet, I would risk it all. <laughs> all of it. Everything. Oh, man. Uh, so the, the KLPW uh, Street Fight here rematch from um, Declaration of Power, where Shingo defeated El Phantasmo, but of course ELP got some comeuppance, and with the, the big low blow towards the end, he, he broke the trophy, so uh, Shingo wants a little revenge. We've seen this this rivalry get violent in Japan, uh, a lot of DQs and multi-mans, a lot of weapons being used, so they're finally going to get to uh, officially use weapons here in this uh, street fight. I I have a strange feeling that uh this is not the final blow off between these two guys that we might get another match in the series. Yeah. For that reason, I think ELP might win. Yeah, I think ELP is it's a good option to win too. I don't think it makes a ton of sense that you have him eat two losses in a row. So yeah, I could definitely see ELP getting the win here and then they could do um, either Osaka November 5th do a rubber match or they can maybe push the rubber match to Wrestle Kingdom. Well, the KOPW title has to be defended at the end of the year to satisfy the true championship, remember? Right, yeah. So there's that aspect too. Yeah. But then, then, then again, it does beg the question, what do these guys do at Wrestle Kingdom? It feels like anyone tied to KO... And we... You and I, I guess we never thought about this when they first initially introduced the title. But when you think about the rules, that the only true champion is the guy who's standing at the end of the year with the title. He's the guy that gets crowned the KOPW champion. Considering their calendar and how everything cuts off just before January 4th, it this was always destined to be like a super low mid-card title just based off of that one designation because where else would they have that title match other than road to Tokyo Dome? Right. Yeah. It actually puts you at a disadvantage to have it going into January 4th because it's not typically a title that's defended on a prominent level on January 4th because the titles being decided a few days prior to that. It's really weird when you think about it under those terms. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah. Now you say that it's like, yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense where it's like, Kind of this mid card, low card kind of thing. Yeah, even I mean, t- taking the whole aspect of people voting and there being stipulations aside, the fact that it pays off on twelve thirty one, automatic based on their calendar, it automatically makes it a mid card title. Yeah. How do you build? How do you build a program for one four if it if the blow off to all your programs is, you know, twelve thirty one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and now I'm like, what do Shingo? Is there a way we can get the title off Shingo and ELP before January, so so we don't have to worry about what they're doing in the dome? Well, I mean, even if one of them ends up as 
the KOPW, I mean, you have to determine the new first provisional for 2023. So you could have those two guys be the first two competing to to establish the, the, the first, you know, the, the provisional 2023 KOPW champion. If I was the booker, I would uh, have one of these guys, whichever, end the year as the champion, quote, unquote. And then during the new provisional Rambo, which is what it probably will be, I'd put neither of them in it. I just move. I would move the program away from KOPW <laughs> altogether and let like the under, you know, all the underling guys just uh, yeah. fight fight for that shit. But after that, I don't know what those guys do then. Like, I would I would make that like the de facto number one contender match for the IWGB title. <laughs> <laughs> you know how they always have that one non-title match that matters a lot. Yeah, I would just turn Shingo and ELP into that match. Yeah, you could do that. Uh, but then again, like, are we going to see these guys wrestle like four times, five times in that short of a span of time? Um, I mean, it's unlikely, but I mean, they could do it. Because this match here is going to be number three. Yeah. After the the first G1 match. Right, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's very unrare to have that many singles matches in New Japan in that a short of a time span. Right. Um, who won the Wrestle Kingdom match? Or, I'm sorry, the G1 match. It was uh, ELP. Fantasmo, yeah. So maybe by that logic, this is the trilogy match. We're looking at it wrong. Yeah, but yeah maybe this is the blow-off. I mean, it, it is a street fight. Yeah, and you have the, the big match, ELP wins, and then I, I think Shingo's going to do Tag League with Sonata. So then you kind of shift Shingo's focus that way. Huh. I wonder what ELP's going to be doing during that time. Who knows? <laughs> Tagging with Yujiro. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the uh, what it looks like is the main event with uh, Eddie Kingston and Okada against Jay White and Juice Robinson. I look mean, at look at here, look at here. The the sons of Baba and Anoki teaming up to take <laughs> on Jay White and Juice Robinson, the foreigners. <laughs> if there was not a more perfect. B.I. Platoon match, you know, <laughs> Eddie Kingston, he walks the King's Road, Okada, he represents strong style, he wears the robe, makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, uh, this should be a, a fun uh, tag team matchup here, also it's a little preview for January 4th with Okada and Jay White, um, I mean, with Juice, and I mean, Juice is, uh, you know, screams Pinnator to me, so I easily see him either getting pinned by Eddie Kingston or Okada here. I hate to say that that's the case because earlier in the year when they returned Juice to the company and gave him the new gimmick, it didn't feel like that was going to be the the way things shook out. But, uh, I mean, could Kingston eat like a Blade Runner or whatever it's called and, and lose? Uh, yeah, probably. But then again, it's like with Tony Khan and everything like that, they're probably just going to have Juice lose. <laughs> Right, and it's in Eddie Kingston's hometown in New York. Right. Um, but at the same time, some of this stuff seems weird because um, previously, when Jay was cutting his promo at Strong, it seemed like they were setting up a singles match between him and Eddie Kingston as opposed to you know this tag preview deal or whatever. And I'm not complaining about this necessarily, but it did seem like they were trying to run some sort of program between Eddie and Jay on possibly strong or one of these pay-per-views yeah maybe uh tk stepped in and was like hold on a minute player 
let's make let's make this a tag team match. <laughs> you're gonna go. Yeah, we're making a tag team match. I was about to say you're about to go one on one with the Undertaker. Holla holla holla. Oh, oh man. man, but um, yeah, on paper that looks like a pretty good show. I I will tell you this. I don't know if any of this, even though I was like, hey, this is the most authentically domestic New Japan show. What I meant by that was like, there's a lot of, you know, um, domestic talent, but this doesn't look like the most appealing show of all the pay-per-views they've done. The only thing that kind of sells it for me is the idea that you can get a bundle for a reduced price to get both nights. Right. Yeah. Both these shows are on fight TV for the English commentary. Uh, Japanese commentary will be available on NJPW world, but of course you have to be in Japan or get some kind of VPN gimmick to make your computer think you're in Japan to uh, watch it on new Japan world. Oh, really? I thought I could just, I seriously thought I could just watch it in Japanese on New Japan World. Um, I don't think I feel like they geo blocked it because they, they want the U.S. fan base yeah, to, you, to order it from Fight TV. You're probably right. I just I just thought that I could do that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean that's the thing I was mentioning though is the fact that you can get a bundle is kind of cool in a certain sense, but. Just on the, their own, these cards don't look like something that like I really, really, really want to go out of my way to spend a lot of money to see necessarily, especially compared to some of the other New Japan of USA pay-per-views over the past year. Right. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the other pay-per-views, you know, Capital Collision, when you say Riot, were like stronger cards compared to this. So Yeah. But, I mean, there's some fun matchups here and some interesting stuff that should um, take place. So, uh, overall, should be um, two fun shows here for uh, New Japan of America. All right, now let's uh, talk about New Japan Strong. This past week, we had the Autumn Action uh, Tour continuing. Uh, show opened up. We had the, rest co- the West Coast Wrecking Crew of Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs defeating Greg Sharp and Jacob Austin Young. Then we had Yuya Mora defeating the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, 9 minutes and 48 seconds. And then in the main event, Shingo Takagi defeated our good friend Rocky Romero in a awesome main event. Yeah, so this was a, a pretty enjoyable show. I mean, the opening match, West Coast Wrecking Crew versus Greg Sharp and Jacob Austin Young. I was not familiar with those uh, two new youngcomers um, or young newcomers, but uh, they were pretty impressive. I mean, there wasn't a lot there that stood out to me to where I'm like, these guys need to return. They need to sign them or anything like that. But they definitely showed that they can hang um, with an established crew like WCWC. Yeah. But um, and, uh, both these guys, I said that they were discovered from one of the L.A. Dojo tryout seminar tryout. things. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, well that's pretty cool. I didn't even pick up on that to be honest with you. But um, I, I've seen a reason to not bring them back in the future. But so far, they still, even though they're impressive, they're kind of just like a little green. You know, there wasn't like a lot to dive into when it comes to character and everything like that. But West Coast Wrecking Crew, they've been you know, recently defeated by Aussie Open and sort of needed to rebound, pick up a big win on screen to kind of 
get them back in the W column. And that's sort of what this match was here. Yeah. Then uh, Imora and Daniels got a great video package kind of highlighting the, the history of this rivalry, starting with Daniels picking Imora to replace Carl Fredericks in, in the, the tag team tournament. And then the big upset when they got over TMDK and then they failed to beat Aussie open. Um, and that was, the, uh, that was Imora's fault. And then they had another match up. Uh, up against uh, Badu Tito and Shane Hayes, and then Daniels lost due to miscommunication with him and Yamora, which caused the whole turn uh, on them. And so that was a great video package, leading to a very intense matchup. Yamora came out here, House of Fire, super intense, pushing the ref, coming for Daniels' throat. Um, and in the end, he was able to uh, defeat Daniels, but then uh, post match, Daniels attacked him. Uh, gave him the the angel's wings on a steel chair, and it looks like it's some kind of uh, injury angle here. Yeah, um, let me ask you this, Jeremy. There's a couple really popular and famous undressings that take place in New Japan. You got Tai Chi ripping off his pants. You got Okada revealing that he's still in the shorts and not no longer in the long boys. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you got Naito just taking his damn time in his suit before every single match. And then finally, you got Yuya Uemura Armstrong <laughs> ripping off the, the trunks with the couple little stripes that correspond in some way to, <laughs> to the fallen uh, angel Christopher Daniels. And using those shorts or those tights to uh, or trunks to choke, choke and also, you know, put, put, that, put his junk in the dude's face. Like... <laughs> Of those four, which do you prefer? Um, I, I don't know. Probably the Tai Chi one's probably my favorite, but this one was like unexpected. Like, because your moral was a madman in this match, and he just ripped his yeah. t- his tights. I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 what, what, what are yeah, you doing? Like, is this guy getting undressed? What's <laughs> going on? Like, hold on, pal, hold on, pal. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, those he was wearing the trunks that uh, Daniels gave him so they could have matching gear in the tournament. He pulled that off. He had the regular uh, Young Lions gear underneath that, and yeah, he choked uh, Daniels with that. So, kind of a cool touch there if you if you if you caught on that and were paying attention to the feud. Yeah, and I mean the way that Yumura ended up defeating Daniels. Daniels was going for the Angels' wings, and he was able to counter that into a pinning you know combination, and sort of speaks to the the idea that these two guys through the, the fact that they're teaming together, that there's a familiarity there. And sort of like he studied, he studied Daniels and he knew how to basically counter his finisher there. And something that I don't think Daniels was aware of and it caught him off guard and was sort of the difference maker. And it, it kind of embarrassed him, which is one of the reasons why I feel like Daniels went out of his way to try and injure Yuya Uemura at the end of the match. Yeah. Um, and after this too, we did get a, a weird tweet um, from Yumora saying, you know, yeah, buy New Japan. Which we had a question here from Rambo and Slam Picks is, do you have any news or updates of the buy New Japan tweet that Yumora sent? Is this a reference to him leaving the promotion, move, moving on to an excursion outside of the LA Dojo Strong, or just a funky mistranslation? Losing him would be an awful shame. Well, I can say I have not heard anything about him leaving the company, and I'd I'd find that very hard to believe if that was the case. Yeah, I know he's also been doing stuff on Impact. He is in the the X Division tournament to crown a new champion. 
Um, so I know he's doing work there. So I don't know if Impact going to become his new kind of excursion spot, or maybe they are going to send him off to to Rev Pro or CMLL or who knows. Maybe he's coming back early to Japan. Who knows? Well, we've seen guys that are on excursion go from one place to another place during their excursion, just depending. So I mean, that's not entirely impossible. Yeah. I don't uh, think he's leaving the company at all. No, I, I highly doubt it. As far as what the, the tweet meant, I think it could have been a, a weird mistranslation, honestly. I, I don't know. I guess it will depend on whether or not we see you more pop up on more strong shows going forward. Yeah. Um, then the main event, Shingo and Rocky, you said the outlet tweet from our account about how awesome this match is and how people have been, have been sleeping on it. Um, I mean, I feel like people sleep on strong altogether, but yeah. Rocky actually paid me to put that tweet out there. <laughs> yeah. I and saw, I just figured we could use the income. So yeah, I, know, I, I saw, I saw him send out, you know, the, the, the praying hands responding to that tweet, <laughs> you know, the thank you brother. <laughs> that was him selling. He, it was prearranged <laughs> inside job. No, I'm just playing. Obviously we would never do that. Uh, call us if you want to do that though, but we would never do that. <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, I watched that match and I was blown away. Um, now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not telling you. It was it was a very, very, very... I kind of rate TV matches differently than, say, like your pay-per-view or live event sort of match. Mm-hmm. I just kind of judge them a little differently. And I felt like this was a really incredible TV match. And that's taking nothing away from it. Overall, it was a great match too. But when you put it in the confines of like a one-hour TV show there's very few strong main events that I think are on the same level as Rocky and Shingo. And it was kind of cool to just see them go out there and just have like a, I mean, essentially a baby face, baby face match in the main event. Yeah. I, I thought the match was awesome. A lot of fun. The, the one thing that I was a little annoyed by was just the lack of crowd response. Uh, I mean, Shingo, former, IWGP world champion carried the company on its back in 2021. Rocky Romero, you know, the the, the spine, the backbone of, of New Japan strong. And, and I felt the crowd reactions were a little mild for these guys. Yeah, that was the only thing I didn't like about it as well. And it, that's why I sent the tweet out. I was surprised I hadn't heard more about this particular match on, um, you know, just social media in general. Uh, as opposed to some of the other, like Narita's last match with Juice, or even the Christopher Daniels, you Mora match from the same show, which you know was also good. But uh, I was surprised I hadn't heard anything anywhere about this. And this is probably one of the. I, I'm not. I don't want to overblow it here. I'm not telling you this is a match of the year contender, but for Strong as a show, this is one of the best main events they've ever produced. Period. I mean, it was fantastic. It it was like a really really strong like super juniors night, you know, style match in the middle of the card. Yeah. And I think it goes to show too, if, with the, the lack of, you know, talk about it and just the, the crowd that was there, like the, the strong crowds, you just don't know what you're going to get. And it, it's clear that the strong crowds are not just NJPW fans. It seems like it's just that city's like wrestling fans who are, Looking for a good show, there might be some familiar names on the card, and and so they're going to go. That they know who Christopher Daniels is, and some of these other guys, where they're going to go, and they might not be the biggest New Japan fans because you would think if it was a fully New Japan fan base, they would lose their minds for Shingo Takagi 
for rare you as a parent walking out. That's true. There's also the possibility that maybe the crowds are still majority New Japan like viewing audience, but they're just not that hot on the product right now. Yeah. That's also possible. Yeah, it could be. Uh, but overall, yes, yeah, really fun main event with you know Rocky being overpowered by Shingo a lot of the match, and you know Rocky kind of have a step up and do some strong style with Shingo, use his submission game to kind of work on the arms to try and prevent the the last of the dragon and, and, and the main Japan. He really had uh, Shingo like reeling all the way through the last stanza, and mm-hmm. then out of nowhere. Like Shingo just catches him in Last of the Dragon, which was kind of crazy. Um, I loved that they had that like high paced, fast, you know, action pay, you know, closing stands of the, the match where that's something that a lot of uh New Japan at its peak, we used to talk about that, about how the matches just had stellar like final like five minute stretches. Mm-hmm. And a lot a lot of New Japan's matches recently haven't had that same quality. And this kind of was a throwback in that respect as well. Yeah. So, yeah, this was a really fun main event. I think people should go out of their way to to watch this. I mean, strong. It's a pretty solid one-hour show. And the production for this tour uh, has looked pretty good. It's been better, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's been, yeah, been a lot of fun. This tour has been good. So, uh, next Saturday, Autumn Action will continue. We'll have uh, the Trust Buster, Aria Davari, taking on Kevin Knight. Blake Christian and Mascar Dorada will take on Mystico and Alex Zane, which they did a kind of free, uh, free, uh, funny promo with Mystico and Zane, where Mystico's like speaking all in Spanish, and Zane's like, yeah, yeah. what he said. It was uh, like, exactly. Then <laughs> <laughs> uh, the main event, Tom on Tom Violence, Tomohiro Ishii versus Filthy Tom Lawler. That's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so moving on, the IWGP Women's Championship Tournament Finals are set. So Mayu Iwatani will be facing Kyrie to determine the first ever IWGP Women's Champion. They will meet in the finals at NJPW uh, cross stardom historic crossover on November 20th from Tokyo's Araki Arena. Uh, Iwatani defeated Utami and Kari defeated Jazzy Gabbert in the tournament finals uh, this past Sunday from the first night of the Goddess of Stardom Tag League 2022. Uh, this will be the sixth time that these two have met in singles competition. The last time was 2017. When Iwatani defeated Kyrie to win the Wonder Wonder of Stardom title, and Iwatani leads their all-time head-to-head singles match series three to two, and we're actually going to have a little special segment right here. Doctor Joshi James Boyd has done um, a little segment for us to go over some of the tournament matches that have happened uh, recently in this IWGP Women's Tournament. Uh, so we'll throw it over to him, and he's going to uh, tell us about how the tournament's been going. Hey, folks, it's James Boyd from One Nation Radio, a.k.a. Fly You Iwatani, a.k.a. Usher Raymond Mysterio Jr. What's going on? 
<laughs> you know what? I'm going to keep that. I'm not even going to get rid of it. I thought it was fucking funny. So we're going to keep it there. Yeah. So, um, the guys of uh, Keep the Strong Style reached out to me to kind of give you guys a recap of what happened um, from last weekend in the IWGP Women's World Title Tournament. Um, as you guys already know from um, previous episodes of Keeping a Strong Style, uh, the beginning of the tournament started at, at Royal Quest. Um, you had um, first round match. You had Avery versus Alpha Female. Um, more... Um, more probably known to you guys as uh, Jazzy Gabbard that was in WWE or NXT U- uh, UK, if you will. Um, you had Alpha Female win that match in a not good match. Um, but if you guys want to come back and um, watch these matches that I'm recapping, just know they're all better than this. <laughs> they're, they're all way better than this. Uh, so um, to give you an idea of what the uh, bracket looked like after Alpha Female won, you had a um, more or less a foreign slash Gaijin bracket. Then you had a domestic bracket on the Gaijin bracket. After Alpha Female won, she um, advanced to the um, semifinals versus Kyrie. Kyrie, I guess because of the WWE connection, international fame, blah, 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 whatever. They they came up with an excuse to put her into the um, foreign um, side of the bracket. So it was alpha female versus, um, Kyrie. And then you had a, um, the domestic bracket, which ended up being decided by the also scientific <laughs> way of drawing straws. Um, they've done it before, uh, to determine who was going to be in the January 5th, uh, Rust Kingdom match tag match. They had people draw straws. Basically, had people choose colors. Um, obviously, uh, you had, you know, it was a tag team match. So two people, if they drew the blue straws, they would be in the blue, represent the blue corner. Red straws represent the red corner. If you got the white straws, you weren't going to Wrestle Kingdom. Um, and they made comedy out of that, out of the people that ended up missing out. Um, but, uh, they did the same thing again. The same person that ended up not getting the white straw, uh, at the end of last year got the, one of the white straws this year. And the other person, um, ended up, um, another faction leader, Tam Nakano, she ended up missing out, but that's okay. She, you'll see her on Historic Crossover along with Shuri, who ended up, um, missing out, uh, as well. But, um, what he decided to do was the two, the, uh, the, the leaders of each faction that made it, um, which was Mayu Batani, Utami Hayashishta, um, Starlight Kid, and Julia. They were going to use the five star Grand Prix, effectively, Stardom's G1 climax to, and, um, the most points in each group to determine, from each group to determine who was going to, um, be the entrant and representative of each faction. They roughly used that. They also just came up with, uh, any old way to put people they want to put in there. Ultimately, you ended up coming up with Maui Iwatani, the leader of stars, um, up against Oedo Tai's Momo Watanabe. And um, the other match was leader of Queen's Quest, Utami Hashishta versus Donna Domando's Himeka. Um, so uh, I am going to start in chronological order. Um, the domestic side of the bracket started up at the Corken Hall from October 22nd. It was a semi-main event and main event. Semi-main event was Utami versus Hameka. Utami and Hameka were in the same block in the Grand Prix that just wrapped up um, and on October 1st. Um, Hameka actually um, bested Utami. 
Um, their career record up to this point um, before this match was one and one. They had met previously in the final of the 2020 Grand Prix, where Utami ultimately um, won the tournament and went on to become the Red Belt champion and had a hell of a run with the title, one of the best champions of last uh, year in pro wrestling. Uh, but getting back to the match, uh, these two. Uh, when they get together, they basically say, hey, um, this is in all forms of matches, singles matches, also tag matches. They basically pair off and they say, hey, let's just run into each other really, really hard as if we're like uh, bulls or if we're rams. And we're just going to slap meat. And it is just fun hoss wrestling. They just uh, <laughs> they just decide just shoulder tackles and lariats. And in between that, they'll throw in variations of stuff like forearms, sliding D's, running knees. Uh, and it was just a basically just hoss fight, slobber knocker, bomb throwing. Um, ultimately at the end, you ended up with Utami getting the win. Uh, it's very, it's the story of the match more or less is that Utami is an all arounder, but she, the thing that makes her special is that she's so damn strong and such a great power wrestler. The, the thing that Emeka has over Utami is she's probably stronger, but she's definitely bigger. And at times she can overwhelm Utami, but Utami has more gifts, physical gifts, and she can use them at her disposal and, and to stay on track when she's fighting for underneath her. She's catch herself uh, behind in a match with Hameka. So um, she might get overwhelmed with with forearms and lariats, or she might lose the shoulder tackle battle or, or uh, get out gun, but eventually she can use her deafness and be able to um, get up the way evade or be able to, like, just from technical ability, like, be able to put her in Hameka into a hold or more specifically a sleeper. And that's how she's able to get back on track and on balance against Hameka. Um, but Hameka has heart, and she uh, also, for someone her size, and Joshi, she just has, like, this ability to bump that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, very rare. Uh, but it, the size point, like, she's, like, 5'9", and she bumps kind of like Sasha Banks for, for anyone, to, you know, whatever. But it's just, it's just rare. But anyway, um, so it ends up turning into a, a Hameka is, uh, after getting out of a choker, out of a choke's sleep hold, um... Utami just starts germing, germing her around and end up throwing her on her neck. Um, Ut- uh, Hameka survives and um, she fights back and um, gets back in control with a with a regal knee. And um, then from there, she goes to get her up for a uh, a power bomb, uh, but Utami powers through with a back body drop. Um, and then from there, there's throwing bombs, and ultimately at the end, Utami just has more. Ends up putting her. Um, away with a uh, a deadlift German suplex bridge uh, for the three, and Utami now has a career uh, series at two one. It moves on to um, the next night in the semifinal um, against the eventual winner of the main event of this show. That would be Mayu Ibatani versus Momo Watanabe. Uh, match starts with both of them running ropes, uh, trying to get the technical advantage over each other. Ultimately. Momo ends up winning and tosses Mayu out to the floor. Out on the floor are both Mayu and Momo's faction members of the good guys, uh, or, or baby faces, stars in the hills, Oedotai. Uh, Momo's Oedotai uh, team swarms <laughs> upon Mayu. Um, Momo's in the ring and runs attraction on the ref. Um, 
Mayu's friends and stars try to help her out, but they're overwhelmed by the numbers game. Um, and they are all, um, beaten up and fighting all on the floor while Momo's in the ring. And another, uh, member of Oedo Tai takes the ref, distracts the ref. Momo comes out. Momo now comes down to the ring. She has a, <laughs> she has a hard plastic bat. It is not like the sting bat where he would smoke people every occasionally or he would cover the bat. It is a hard plastic bat and she swings the bat and, uh, tears up, uh, Mayu's back. And then from there, Mayu is selling and she's worked from underneath throughout the rest of, throughout most of the rest of the match. Um, so Momo's in control for the rest of the, uh, for the next part of the match, uh, trying to work over Mayu's back. Mayu don't, don't give up. Mayu, uh, uh, fights back. Eventually, Momo gets frustrated and dumps Mayu back out to the floor. Momo gets on the apron and goes for a meteora off of the apron onto the floor. Um, ult- Ultimately, Mayu ducks out the way and Momo ends up um, putting knees into some of her faction members of Tai, and then Mayu mounts a comeback in the back in the ring. Great exchanges of uh, of striking and blocking and ducking and evading kicks ultimate, and then suplexes galore. Um, and then you end up getting, you know, the basic gist of a Mayu and Momo match is excellent, uh, excellent pro wrestling of just suplexes and kicks and blocks and in smart nifty ways of avoiding things and storytelling based off previous matches they've had where they put each other away with new moves or um things that um they weren't expected that they were able to escape out of have finished uh wild escapes out of matches in previous times um they basically went through the whole story of them in the past the last probably five years um since momo turned 18 she's now 22 which is crazy um and at the end Mayu has bested her, and Mayu is um, hits a dra- her uh, dragon uh, suplex, and <clears throat> and the ref counts one, two. You get a ref pull on three. Um, then the ref is out the ring. You end up getting uh, more Oedotai shenanigans. Ultimately, um, Mayu cuts all that off. She ends up going to the top rope. Um, trying to finish this thing for the ref uh, as the ref gets back in. Um, and at this point, the ref is pissed. The ref is Daichi. Um, he's a head ref of, uh, in stardom. Um, he has, he's had to deal with Oedo Tai's bullshit similar to Red Shoes and, <laughs> and uh, Bullet Club or House of Torture over the years. You're, you're familiar. You're, you're, it's, it's very familiar. Um, so um, as we get towards the end, uh, you have Oedo Tai make one last desperate play. They take the ref one more time. They have another person come up and hit Mayu with a weapon while she is on the second rope, about to dive off. Um, and it ends up knocking Mayu down. Momo then grabs a chair while distracted. The ref turns back around, is looking at um, Momo, about to use a chair after she, they have already, you know, the ref has already witnessed multiple times Oyatai line stepping and breaking the rules, knowing that Daichi just will not throw out a match. And uh, Mayu gets down. After getting hit with a foreign wet object uh, on the top turnbuckle on the on second rope, ends up hitting, um, super kicking the chair into Mumble's face. The ref allows it because he's sick of the bullshit. And then Mayu then, um, while Momo is dazed on, on her feet, uh, turns around towards the, the turnbuckle and hits a triple jump reverse Rana um, that just devastates Momo in, for the win. Um, great match. I give it four stars. Um, flat. 
if you've never seen a Momo Mayu match, you may like this match more than I have. I've seen matches that uh, with them in this particular venue alone in Corrigan Hall. I think this might be my, their fourth best Corrigan Hall match I've seen, let alone matches, period. Um, so I, I, had, I hold them to a high standard, and it was a lot of nonsense in the match that, you know, it's, it's typical House of Torture or Edo Tai stuff that kind of it grates on you regardless of how much or low is in there just like at this point sometimes you just kind of want all of it gone but anyway great match regardless and um great finish um my you bust out the triple jump reverse hurricane rod like maybe once a year maybe it only does it with people like momo or takumi aroha or io shirai so it's a very rare move um so on to the next night show pay-per-view the start of the tag league um world or not world tag league world like tag league is new japan but uh got us a stardom's tag league tournament um some main event was Kyrie versus alpha female jazzy gabbard um you know if you watch wb or watch nxt uk you may be familiar with her maybe uh may young classic 2017 you may f- be familiar with her from that but uh she's the second ever red belt champion of stardom she was one of the top guys in, in the history of stardom over the uh, 11 years of the company. Um, she's back now in a role as a, uh, in a invader fashion called Neo stardom army. So she is back now and part of the tournament earlier, as we mentioned with, um, her beating, um, Ava white. So this match is typical classic baby, small baby face in peril versus big bruiser monster, um, Kyrie plays it very well. Kyrie, um, <laughs> Kyrie just takes a beating for most of the match. Um, she puts in her flurries of escapes, of great peril, of doom, of danger. Um, tries to throw her body ar- around off, off the top turnbuckle, off of the apron, t- uh, because of the gigantic size difference. At times it works, at times it doesn't. At times, um, she just get ca- gets caught and then put into more pain. Ultimately, um, she fires up after uh, being back in the ring and Alpha Female pulls off the corner pad and starts bullying and, you know, disrespect, shoving, kicking Kyrie to fire Kyrie up. Kyrie fights back um, and they end up all around the ring, end up on the top rope where it looked like it was going to be a vertical suplex, uh, superplex. Ultimately, Kyrie cuts that off, ends up hitting a double diving foot stomp. Um, similar to um, Alberto Del Rio, similar to um, a bunch of people you've seen in Lucha that, you know, throw that off the second rope to someone that's hanging off the uh, off the turnbuckle. Um, and then ultimately, um, they get back towards that exposed turnbuckle. Kyrie uh, ducks a, a charge from Alpha Female. She ducks under, hits her with the spinning back fist, then gets towards the middle of the ring and then uh, spears her into the corner post. Um, and then hits the elbow and gets the win. Three flat stars, nothing to write home about. If you got time, check it out. I wouldn't rush it. There's plenty. Look, that was like the sixth best match on this particular card, but it was still good nonetheless. Check it out if you want to. If not, fine. Um, then the main event, you have, uh, the winner from the previous night show in Corican Hall, Utama Ashishta versus Mayu Itani. These two, these two have only had two matches prior. Both have been in big uh, pressure moments. It was uh, the first match they had was actually Utami's twelfth match ever in professional wrestling, the uh, 2018 Grand Prix Final. 
Um, great match. I didn't get a match four and a quarter. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Her 12th match ever, she had a four and a quarter star match, in my opinion. Yes, she's that damn good. Um, yes, uh, uh, she ended up losing that match. Mayu ended up winning the Grand Prix that year. And then, um, they had a, their second match in November, I want to say 15th of 2020, where the belt, the red belt changed from Mayu Utani to Utama Ashista. Uh, great match. Probably gave it like four and a half at the time. Um, so they, they only wrestle each other in big stakes moments. Like they only wrestle each other in big, big show main events. This is the third one. Um, I think this is my favorite match between these three, uh, between these two of, of the three they've had. Um, matches of starting out where Mayu is trying to out wrestle her rope running and technical ability. Um, and, uh, tries to use her speed because, because Utami is such a, such a killer with speed, with, uh, power. Um, eventually Utami cuts her off. Uh, and no sell some of the stuff she's trying to do. And then Utami goes to work on Mayu's back, um, with strikes to the back, stomps to the back, uh, you know, side, um, sidewalk slams, runs like all types of power stuff just to try to get her off base, try to kill off, neutralize the speed. Um, Mayu fights back. Uh, Mayu ends up at some point, um, <laughs> getting, Utami to the outside. She hits a tope through the ropes to the floor. Uh, then the back inside the ring. Uh, and then it's just a trade of them just throwing each other around with suplexes. Um, <laughs> just back and forth, back and forth, no selling. Um, and uh, then um, Uta- Utami's on the ropes. Mayu gets her up and uh, drops her with a dragon um, suplex. And she ends up kicking out at uh, 2.9. Mayu looks like she has nothing left to do. Like she has nothing left, no plan. She has no, doesn't know how she's going to get her out of here. Um, Utami ends up fighting back to her feet, um, overwhelms her, uh, with power again. Uh, then after, you know, working over her back, uh, she says, all right, I got something for you. Like, um, you just went to the top rope. You're trying to go for a moonsault. I'm going to cut you off at the top, uh, top rope. I'm going to stop you. And then I'm going to jump off the second rope with air raid crash. Instead of dropping you on your bad back, that I've worked over. I'm just going to like drop you at a high angle. And you're just going to land on your neck off the second rope with an air raid crash. <laughs> My use as if she broke her neck. Uh, <laughs> I was concerned. Um, even for, even for her who has, I think, you know, has a vibranium sleeky for her neck. Um, but, um, Mayu escapes. Mayu ends up escaping um, out of, uh, various types of power bombs. It's more drops with a crucifix bomb. Uh, it's another crucifix, fr- crucifix bomb. um, and then Mayu just lights her up with kicks, um, gets Utami into a corner, hits a running power bomb from one corner to the next, and then it hits uh, hits one top rope moonsault, goes to the top, hits another top rope moonsault, and gets the win. Um, probably four and a half stars. Incredible match. Um, these two are excellent together. Like uh, they they do nothing but have four and a quarter or four and a half star matches. Uh, but um, that is the gist of the tournament up to this point. The final that you will see on um, November twentieth will be Mayu Itani versus Kyrie. Um, this will be their fourth match in their career singles match. Um, the first one they had were both when they were young girls um, early in the business, and their last two matches one was uh, for the Red Belt in two thousand fifteen, and one was for the White Belt in two thousand seventeen. And both those matches I thought were great when I've watched them years ago. Um, 
But I need to wrap this up because Josh gave me 20 minutes and I thought 20 minutes would be more than enough time for me to talk about four matches, but apparently not. But uh, basically, I want to tell you guys is that uh, these two, Kyrie and Mayu, have a long history of them being faction mates and kind of carriers and standard bearers for the company uh, in the in between 2015 and 2017 as things were going bad after they got some bad publicity in the promotion and company almost folded uh this story of them five years later five and a half years later coming back um is a success story that like for most promotions they don't survive to get back to this point to where they're even like you know multiple times bigger than they were at that time to get back to two of the icons pillars of the promotion's history come back together to meet at this stage um these are two of my favorite wrestlers of all time and i can't wait to see them um have this moment, this match together on such a big stage. I, you know, when I started watching this in 2019, I never thought this would be possible, but this is really cool. So I'm super excited. Um, you guys are in for a treat, uh, to see these two, uh, do the thing. I think, I think everyone's going to enjoy it. So, uh, I'm going to throw this back to Jeremy and Josh and I'm sorry for going 45, uh, looking at now one minute over time. Sorry. Forgive me. Please forgive me. Forgive me. Bye. And we're back. James, thanks so much for uh, doing that segment for us and getting us all up to speed on how these tournament matches have been going. Um, I, I feel like this is, is a final that we kind of predicted from the very right start. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I can't believe after I was gracious enough not to call James Dr. Joshi on this show, you were like, all right, we got Dr. Joshi on the line. <laughs> No, but um, thank you, James, for, uh, you know, watching Joshi and watching Stardom and kind of uh, letting some of us who are less knowledgeable on the subject off the hook because I was not ready to talk about those matches. I didn't see them. Yeah, same here. <laughs> but I will listen to the review and I'll, I am going to probably try and find a way to catch up on the domestic side of the bracket because we already saw the international side. Right. So, yeah, I mean, overall, that should be a, a really fun matchup there. On historic crossover with uh, Mayu and Kyrie, um, I think as we'll get closer, we'll do official previews. But I mean, to me, I think right now I would say it makes a lot of sense for Kyrie to win since she has established that kind of U.S. fan base with her NXT and uh, WWE runs. For like a Western audience, combined with their domestic, and what match is going to just have the most crossover appeal for you know not just not just those two groups, but also just New Japan's audience in general, it, it had to be Kyrie and Mayu. Like, that's the match that just makes the most sense from that standpoint. Yeah. All right, want to take us through the uh, the rest of the news there? Sure. So uh, FTR has been added to the lineup for NJPW Battle Autumn in Osaka on November 5th. In a video released late Monday on social media, NJPW announced that FTR are set for the Saturday, November 5th tour closer in Osaka, Japan. FTR cut a promo in the video challenging NJPW to present them with the best possible challengers. So we're going to get them versus like, I don't know, Great Bash Heel probably, right? (laughs) Uh, I think it's going to be Conan Okab. Okay. I bet. What if, it's a, Cobb. I keep, what if it's I a non-title match? A, a title eliminator. <laughs> a title. Yeah, they don't call it that. But what if it's a non-title match to establish them to, to get a title shot down the road? It better not be like it seems to be a title match. <laughs> See, I'm thinking about the long term here. I'm thinking about these teams facing off on January 4th, and you're like, no, nah, they're dropping the belt. 
<laughs> on November 5th. There's, there's a job to be done. You want FTR to lose on November 5th, and you want Carl Anderson to be stripped and, and ousted from the company. There's a lot of people who are like, absolutely. Like, <laughs> they're like, that's why Jeremy's the ace of the ace of podcasts. And <laughs> uh, JPW Strong will return to Los Angeles on November or in November for the Detonation 2022 taping tour. The promotion has announced uh, a Sunday, November 20th, 20th return date for the Vermont Hollywood the company's home base for strong tapings throughout 2022 tickets for detonation go on sale this Friday, October 21st at 10 AM Pacific time with prices ranging from $25 to $90 strong openweight champion, Fred Rosser, IWGP world heavyweight champion, Jay white, David Finley and Hikaleo are the talent that are currently listed for that show or for those shows. And JPW on access continues this Thursday at uh, 10 9 central with Jonah versus Okada. Finally, Repro Uprising 2022, Saturday, December 17th. Your call. Bethnal Green, London. Tomohiro Ishii returns, as well as Zack Sabre Jr. And we have the upcoming, much anticipated, undisputed versus undefeated title match with Ricky Knight Jr. defending his title against Okan, as well as every championship in Repro being defended on that show, which sounds pretty awesome yeah so it should be a fun show it seems like you know old times with ishii going over there sack being back uh you got okan over there so yeah that should be a, a really fun show who who else might show up you never know so so uh, Punk. <laughs> bro what i know it won't happen but what if he did <laughs> kenny omega <laughs> oh so uh, only uh, just Matt Jackson by himself. No, no, <laughs> no <else>. Nick. <laughs> Kota Abushi. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, man. So a few questions here. Uh, Less Commission seven two five two says, "Will you guys be reviewing the upcoming two New New Zealand shows?" I really don't know. I haven't given too much thought about that because it's like. We're already covering the domestic product. We do all these retro, you know, match reviews, and then the U S stuff. And then you want us to cover the oceanic brand too. That's a, I don't know. I think we need to get like uh sir Sam or somebody. We need an oceanic respondent. Like we have James to do for the Joshi. We need somebody to, to drop pre uh, segments for Tamahashi. I would be a hundred percent in favor of us having uh, an oceanic like correspondent that just covers Actually, we should get one for New Japan Strong, too. We should get, like, yeah, people to just do the podcast for us in bits. We just splice them in. <laughs> uh, he also asked, with the friendly competitive relationship between Tanada and Taichi and the love-hate relationship between Naito and Saber, wouldn't it be interesting to see each pairing team up with this for this year's World Tag League? Could you guys also see a concept where, in the near future, New Japan will make a rivals-only World Tag League? No and no. Yeah. And I, I think they're in, these are inventive questions. I just don't see either of them as being feasibly realistic. Like, they're not going to put opposing guys from different factions together in a tag team. And they're not going to do a, uh, what was that called in um, WCW uh, when they did this? The, uh, was it Battle Bowl? Yeah, Battle Bowl. 
Yeah, they had the battle, or was it Lethal Lottery or something? I don't know. Oh, well, AEW just one, did one too recently with the, the woman, the Deadly Draw or something like that. Yeah, what was that called? Uh, I, I don't remember, but yeah, they used to have the tournament where all the like rivals ended up tagging together and uh, it was all random. And I don't know. I don't see New Japan doing that. Yeah, I mean, I know Gato loves Western concepts, but I have a hard time seeing him do that. I mean, we're already getting strange bedfellow for the, like, the four-way juniors match, which is already kind of weird. Lethal um, lottery. Yeah, there we go. Um, so, again, like, what, what would a storyline be? Like, what would be the purpose? Like, I get for, like, the junior title match, like, those guys are in a four-way. You want some kind of preview. It's for the lulls. It's because <laughs> neither team would win. It'd just be funny. It'd be like when Yano and Tanahashi teamed together last year, and they had, like, the special, like, suits made and the weird, like, pompadour hair. Mm-hmm. It'd just be, like, this weird world tag league that they just happened to all team together. Yeah, it'd be weird. But, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Um... Moving on to Bash, who was on the show last week. Uh, he says, I forgot to ask you this last week when I was on, but what's with NJPW putting on, putting up the theme tunes on YouTube, but they haven't updated their playlist on Spotify or on Apple Music in over two and a half years? Is it due to licensing or payment issues? If AEW and the Fed can upload it quick, why can't NJPW? Is this another thing that just makes them look second class? Cheers, lads. Well, I mean, I I understand the complaint, but you're complaining about them not uploading theme songs, and I was a I was complaining about them not uploading a supposed five star match. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're the same thing. No, but um, I'm not a theme song guy. I don't arrange any of the audio for the show, so I mean, it's not like I go looking for this stuff on Spotify. I had no idea. To be honest, I had no clue until this moment any of new japan's like theme music was on spotify i just thought everyone went to youtube to listen to yeah there's a bunch of them on there up until Are they like on apple music and stuff yeah i have it i have a download on apple music what? Yeah. <laughs> like up until like i think like jay white is like the most like recent theme they have on there okay well maybe i'm just like missing i'm missing the vision i didn't realize that this was something that they ever did and, uh, I mean, yeah, if the other two big companies, it, it, I didn't know that. I didn't know WWE and AEW were putting theme songs on. Bro, you like, did it? Why would I? Dude, they, AEW every week, like, Adam Cole's song, number one on Apple Music, whenever he comes out. Like, they're always pushing, like, the Apple Music for themes. Well, well first off, I don't, I've never noticed that they say <laughs> that. Or, I, I guess I don't be reading that. Like, number two is, like, why would I listen to wrestling theme song when I could listen to good music? Sometimes you want to get hype, you know? Sometimes you want to hear I want to get hype, I'll listen to like go, hype music. Ace. No. Go Ace. <laughs> if I want to listen to a theme song, I go to YouTube. I don't go to Spotify. <laughs> but people download like wrestling music and listen to it for real. Dude, yeah, the, dude, Adam Cole's thing was like the number one chart on Apple Music for real, like legit, like all categories. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yo, that's popping me so hard right now i've never i've never done that in my life oh man uh, if i it, yeah i just go to youtube mm. i just feel like that's where regular people go to listen to their wrestling music nah son you gotta go out music or spotify 
Oh my god. Do you, <laughs> do you guys like make playlists and shit? Oh, I have an AW playlist. I got, uh, I got a Bullet Club playlist. I didn't know that. Yeah, so maybe New Japan does look second rate, not putting stuff up. I don't I the reason why I have no clue. Do you know anything? I have no idea. I don't know if it's like a thing with it needing to be released in Japan first or like how that all what makes it different, but yeah, I mean, they do seem to be kind of behind and up. I mean, they're behind uploading a lot of stuff. So a lot of stuff. The music is the least of their worries right now. <laughs> right. They they are doing the the theme Tuesday thing on YouTube, so at least they're getting the themes up there. Um, uh, moving on to a Hawaiian Punch BV. He says FTR finally making their way to Japan in November. Who do you want to see them face against? Should Gato make them defend their titles against the Good Brothers just to see the eyes? See burned down to ashes. That's funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my opinion, um, I think there's money to be made potentially with them on January 4th. So I wouldn't have them drop the title yet, meaning I wouldn't have them face off against Okan and Cobb. I'd probably put them in there with like Fale and Chase Owens and have them beat those guys. <laughs> I know, but like, but they, you know, they, they just lost to Khan and Okab. Bro, it's New Japan. It doesn't need to really make that much sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. It should. They should have rate rankings and stuff like that. But like, how often do we see undeserving people get title shots for nothing? Yeah. But they made it, they kind of went out of their way, though, to kind of have to have Jeff Cobb and Great Okan beat those guys, though. So I feel like. If anybody gets a, a match, it should be Jeff Cobb. And plus, there's still there's still all that history from Forbidden Door with them not getting pinned, and so yeah, yeah. It just feels like eleven five in Osaka doesn't seem like a good time to pay off your. I mean, you got the titles on FTR; they're the most one of the most popular teams in the West. You should probably do something with that, and yeah. just having them lose to. United Empire and eleven five doesn't make a lot of business sense. Well, well, I guess it depends on if they're going to be working in Japan in the future. Like, what's the future for these guys? Like, are there going to be more dates? Are they set for January fourth, which is the same day as a Dynamite? Um, who knows? Well, regardless, whether you have lots of dates on them in the future and it's going to be a fruitful, you know, relationship or not, you have them drop the belts on one four. That's where, that's where the big AEW tag team should drop the belts is on January 4th in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. It makes, I don't know, that makes the most sense to me. Maybe I'm wrong. It does, but the only one thing is, what if they're needed for Dynamite that day and then you, you can't do the title match? They're barely on Dynamite as it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also asked... That's another thing, too, is like uh, Jeff Cobb put out the tweet today about, he's like, I'm so glad these guys could, you know, bless us with their presence between their so busy, you know... Uh, AW schedule, their schedule, AAA defenses. Title defenses. Yeah. And I, like, retweeted it, and I was like, stop Jeff when he's telling lies. Oh, wait. <laughs> and nobody, bro, no one liked that shit. Bro, nobody liked that FTR hate, bro. <laughs> they don't like FTR slander on the internet. I don't get it. They're so easy to slander. I mean, <laughs> the belt marxism, the cosplayism. Dude, Flo- Floyd's the not bra- Floyd's not going to like this episode. Ism, you know, there's a lot. Uh, Pitching their wagon to CM Punk for the, you know, for the clout. <laughs> a lot of shit. Uh, so this next question, seeing the new Three Musketeers reunite 
at Inoki's funeral was nice. How would you feel if there was a Three Musketeers versus Three, three Musketeers match for one of Muto's final matches? Daisuke Hashimoto could represent his father. Naito could represent the Dark Ace and Chono, seeing as how Chono will be recovering from spine surgery at the time. I mean, in theory, like, would that be a cool match to have? You know, sure, but because two of the three original, you know, Musketeers are not available uh, or even alive. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of shoehorning things if you're trying to like put in these other representatives plus a lot of what they're doing with muto's you know uh final matches is to draw as much money as they possibly can and i don't see that being like having daichi hashimoto in there like that's not gonna draw yeah i don't yeah i don't think they would do that he also asked um what would it take to uh for triple for triple h allow nakamura to do a show over in japan what would it take for Triple H to let Nakamura come over here and work? Yeah. I have no idea. They did let him work the Noah um, anniversary show a few years. No, no, no. I'm sorry. That was, that was Kenta. Kenta. Yeah. They let Kenta work Marafuji. But then again, that was like what happened right after that. He asked for his release and then he <laughs> went to New Japan. So I don't know. Yeah. Like, maybe if Muto was like, I want to face Nakamura in, in one big of my retirement matches, maybe. But I, I still, why would Triple H say yes to that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, he has thoughts on Islam Machet. Mach- how do you say that name? Makovic. Oh, oh, you know what it could be? Hmm. The, the, the real answer is what would it take for Triple H to allow Nakamura to do a show over in Japan? Um, Smackdown doing a, a tour in Japan. That's what it's going to take. What do they call it? Like the Rising Sun tour that they do? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard that, so I don't want to comment on it. I know they did the Beast in the East tour. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't expect us to see Nakamura come over. Also, do I want to see Nakamura come over at this point? Uh, I mean, uh, he's washed. Like, I can't remember. Yeah, he's washed, bro. Like, why? For who? For what? For who? For what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so next, uh, some five questions here. Thoughts on Islam. How do you say his last name? Uh, I say Makachev, but that's wrong. I think it's a... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it, to be yeah. honest with you. So thoughts on Islam's dominating performance on Char- over Charles Oliveira. Uh, it's exactly what I thought was going to happen, to be honest with you. In fact, I mean, Dubronx is one of my favorite lightweight fighters of all time. I fully support the guy. The the run of, you know, monstrous wins that he's been on over the past two years has been pretty exhilarating. But I just didn't think he was going to beat Makachev. And, um, yeah, he did. Makachev pretty much ran over the guy and, uh, you know what it reminded me of in a certain way? The way he was able to nullify um, Charles Oliver on the ground. It, it reminded me a lot of when Fedor did the same thing, you know, 20 years ago to Big Noguera. When, you know, Nog was this colossal heavyweight submitting everybody, winning all these, you know, crazy fights. And then he stood in front of Fedor Milianenko with his Sambo background and just 
couldn't do anything with him from his back. And as good as Oliveira is, he couldn't do much with um, Makachev from his back. And eventually that kind of ground and pound and that kind of, um, you know, constant pressure on top, it's just too much. It doesn't matter how great you are, which there's no denying Oliveira is great. But yeah, uh, I thought Makachev was going to beat him and he did. Yeah, I did see this fight. First time I watched UFC in a while. Um, yeah, I mean, Islam just destroyed him. Um, I mean, he is training with Khabib and um, had tough training camp and just kind of went out there and, yeah, and just uh, destroyed him, really totally dominated him on the ground and um, ended up being a real great fight. And I, I don't know who's going to be able to, to beat Islam in that division. I think um, he kind of pro- he. Destroy one of the toughest guys in the division, so it's going to be a tough task finding somebody to beat him. Well, you know, lightweight in general is historically the most competitive uh, weight class in all of mixed martial arts, and there's a lot of guys as great as Makachev looked on that night, and as great as he has looked, he's only beaten one other top ten fighter in the entire division prior to this, so. A lot of guys on the on the horizon, plus a lot of like young and up and comers who are also making their name in that weight division. I mean, it, it's it's really tough to. I, I, there's very few guys that have ever had like true lengthy dominant runs at, at 155. Yeah, and he also asked, "Who do you got in Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva?" Anderson Silva all day. I know a lot of people are probably thinking the youth, explosiveness, and knockout power of. Uh, Jake Paul are going to overcome an older Anderson Silva. Uh, uh, the eyeball test is telling me no. I watch both of these guys. I watch their videos to see what they're doing, especially considering this free show fight. And I might be wrong, but bro, I wouldn't fuck with Anderson Silva when it comes to boxing. This guy, he's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I know the fight was happening. I haven't been paying attention to any of the training or anything that's been going on. I mean... I would think, like you're saying, that Anderson Silva should be able to kind of piece him up, but maybe they're going well, to, they're going to do a work and everything I see from Jake Paul, like he's definitely explosive. He's he can crack. There's no doubt about it. But he's always off balance. He's very very. Uh, he's just all over the place. Like he's a green fighter. He's a guy that legitimately should be fighting other like four round, you know, or amateur guys. And not not like and granted he hasn't fought any actual real fighters he's only fought you know mma fighters or other athletes and anderson silva again is an mma fighter but he's a guy who actually has boxing experience and has had professional fights and when i see the two of them move i mean one of these things is not like the other um is there a chance jake paul still catches him sure we've seen him knock out guys tyron woodley most recently but I just got the feeling Anderson Silva's going to outbox this dude and maybe even knock him out, probably. Yeah, hopefully. And, and these, you know, crazy freak show fights with these Paul brothers. Well, it's not ending because in Saudi Arabia on... Uh, <laughs> Logan Paul and Roman. Yeah, Lo- the, the, the greatest wrestler in the world, Roman Reigns, is taking on Jake Paul or Logan Paul. <laughs> Now let's uh, move on to recommended match of the week. So last week we decided in uh, honor to me- to remember the the loss, the death of uh, Kitamura, we would watch uh, two of his matches. So we watched him versus Eugene Nagata, 
in one of the trial series matchups, and then we watched the finals of the Young Lions Cup in 2017 against Oka, which is now known as the Great Okan. Yeah, I mean, these were both two really meaningful matches from a certain extent because Nagata was sort of like, from my understanding, the main, you know, guy that was sort of directing his training and, you know, kind of forming him um, in the Nogay Dojo. And then Oka was the other young lion that they signed on the same day. They entered the dojo at the same time. They had the press release together. And their careers in the early part of it just kind of like intertwined to a certain extent. They were foils again, you know, from for one another. And so going back and reviewing these two matches in particular that were so kind of personal for him, I thought was like very fitting. Yeah, I mean, these matches, they're, they're fun to go back and watch. Like, I forgot. Just how awesome Kitamura was. Um, a guy that size that has the amateur wrestling background and then he goes to the dojo train. Like, uh, like watching him and Okan, both former amateur wrestlers, like the wrestling in that match, like the lockups and the transitions were so good um, in that match. And honestly, I forgot that Kitamura does did a spear and jackhammer. Yeah, for his fear. it's been so long since we you know reviewed his match or talked about him. I forgot that he used to do the spear jackhammer, and that was so awesome. He, I, I remember the, the the fang mouthpiece, like dude, there's everything about his look. Well, you know that's why Great Okan started wearing the fang mouthpiece was as a tribute to Kitamura. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, oh, the match with Nagata. Uh, again, Nagata, another former amateur wrestler, too. And so, like, watching those guys kind of pummel and wrestle around. And, dude, the chops. I forgot how hard Kitamura would chop people. Those chops were sounding off on both uh, Nagata and Oka. Yeah, I mean, I felt like re-watching these matches, it was very interesting because at the time, we were just starting to anticipate uh, – Kitamura maybe going on excursion or maybe graduating one or the other. We weren't really sure, but they definitely seemed to be fast tracking him. And, uh, you know, we didn't know that these were some of the final matches of his actual wrestling career. Like that seemed unthinkable, but that's the way it did end up turning out. Um, as far as the actual quality of the matches, I thought that these were both pretty good. I still did think, Kitamura didn't, in my opinion, look ready for the place that they were putting him. You know, they're putting him in that seven match series. I still think he looked pretty green and maybe mm-hmm. not quite ready, but you could see all the promise that was there the look, the charisma, mm-hmm. and the explosiveness. And I mean, he was a very unique combination of these things that you don't see come along every day in the wrestling business. And um, the match with Oka, I, I, I still stand by our original like viewpoint that Oka was the better of the two guys. And yeah. I feel like he stood out in this match, but it was a really good payoff to the tournament and kind of fun to see like Kitamura sell for Oka and just sell, sell, sell. And then finally, boom, spear jackhammer, get, get the bum out of there, get out of my ring, give me my trophy and see him crowned as the, uh, you know, young lions champion. 
But the match with Nagata was actually a truly great match. Like Nagata decided to like take this dude to the limit. It wasn't just a young lions match, you know, turned up a little bit. This was like a full fledged, like, all right, we're going to like put on a show and the slaps, the, the yeah. slapping like sequences in this match were fucking crazy. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Him and Nagata. Yeah. They were slapping the crap out of each other. And just the guy just firing up like, come on, hit me harder. Like, is that all you got? <laughs> Yeah, and like Kitamura at one point was like pop, 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 just continuously slapping him, but like Nagata was like not like budging or selling for any of it and just eating them up all day. And like Kitamura is literally losing power and like starting to slump as he's like slapping Nagata's bare face and Nagata's just eating it up and then boom, like one forearm and then he drops Kitamura. Like there were some awesome exchanges here. Yeah, so yeah, these were really fun matches to watch and re- revisit since the first time we watched them in 2017. So I would definitely re- recommend going back watching some of these matches. Just watch some of that Young Lions Cup, some of those Lion Gate projects. There's a lot of fun stuff in, in 2017. Yeah, and Nagata ended up picking up the win here. And the interesting thing is, like, that best of seven series, the final match he was going to have at the time, Kitamura was going to be against Nakanishi, who was, like, already kind of on his way out of the company mm-hmm. and they had had one prior match in the tournament and Kitamura almost beat Nakanishi and it felt like in that final match he was going to pick up his first major win and then it just never happened and then we and then he never came back yeah it's a crazy like what could have been story right there right and at the same time there you know there's also the aspect where you know we call something ahead of time and be like there's no doubt he would have been a world champion right but then it's like you just never know how history actually turns out i'm sure there's a lot of people in 1987 that were saying the same thing about like lex luger it's gonna yeah. be the biggest star this you know that we've ever seen and didn't quite turn out that way so who knows what really would have happened when if kitamura stuck around we don't really actually know yeah so for this week for we're going to go back to recommended match of the week and excursion match of the week. And we're going to pick up where we left off. Um, so it was my pick for the excursion match of the week. And I had picked um, the Motor City Machine Guns versus Aussie Open from the September uh, 22nd episode of Impact. So we'll, we'll... I, I had thought that I'd gotten out of this and I wasn't ever going to have to actually watch that match. <laughs> but it looks like I'm going to have to go back and... Uh... <laughs> You know, do the work, as Cody Rhodes likes to say. Out- outwork everyone. Outwork everyone. Um, and then, as we discussed on a previous episode several weeks ago, um, I had originally given you a 1987 five-on-five elimination New Japan-style tag match. And it was a good one, but not the one I actually meant to give you. <laughs> the one that I wanted us to watch is from September 12th. 1988 so that is the official pick and that's the one i've already sent you the link jeremy but uh in this match it's the team of tatsumi fujinami kichi yamada better known as jushin thunder liger shiro koshinaka yoshiaki fujiwara and kengo kimura as they took on the team of hiro saito kuniaki kobayashi strong super strong machine masa saito and ricky choshu Nice. Looking forward to uh, checking that out and reviewing that next week. 
And that is going to wrap things up for us here this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back to review all the shows that we've uh, previewed today. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can also email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Tumowitz. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And then the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kugler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiba. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.